we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column, column, column. Greetings. Uh, what? Greetings, uh. and uh, welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is uh, your almost weekly. I said almost, damn it. Rhetorical assault on the news cycle to people that make it in ourselves. Uh, a few brief words of warning. Program may feature respectful, nuanced, and well-informed ca- commentary. Usually oh, no. does. No, it doesn't. Strong language is almost certainly going to occur at some point. Yep. Uh, uh, various obscure pop culture references, at least obscure to me, and spurious allegations of all kinds. Uh, I'm Camille Foster. This is episode 45, the evening of uh, February 10th, 2017. Someone asked that we give the date uh, in the front of these, so we are. Uh, this is February, the shortest month of the year, also Black History Month. Okay. Is here that we, a coincidence? Here we go. Certainly not. <laughs> Jesus. Definitely, Christ. definitely yeah. isn't. Um, <laughs> I am uh, joined by Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, That's Michael right. Moynihan, exotic dancer, galactic yep. uh, correspondent for yeah, Vice dude. News Tonight. Thanks, buddy. Congrats on the promotion, and, uh, thank and welcome you, thank back. Thank you for the galactic uh, dancer stuff. Where the yeah, hell yeah. have you been? Where? What was happening last week? I don't know. I don't, we had like Kevin was Williams here yeah. worshiping the Muslims I, while you were you know, out, like, I, galivanting. I leave, and it becomes the Robert Spencer show. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I was in... San Francisco, living it up, you know, being free, painting my body as yeah. the kids do there, living in the park. Yeah, uh, I didn't uh, realize that uh, they're doing the uh, the Halloween parade in February now. No, it's just always like that no. in that city, which is a lovely city full of homeless people. That's the <laughs> only thing. But by the way, someone from San Francisco, a question to you, respond to me on Twitter. Um, I can't figure this out. Highest real estate prices, you know, in the galaxy because of Silicon Valley, et cetera. And then there's the Tenderloin, which is like smack dab in the middle of the city in all. It's like a proper skid row. Like you just hop over people like shooting things into their neck. And it is. There was, how is that not a bunch of like. Uh, part of this is that. Oh, you have an answer. For years. Sorry. I'm from California. I forgot. Uh, for years, San Francisco led uh, uh, the rest of the country in the uh, the amount and then also in the way that they gave um, benefits is the wrong word but money uh, to homeless people like they they would give checks on a monthly basis twice as much as the next most generous city so there was just a natural and you know it's a geographically kind of con- contained place yeah it's always like 50 degrees right yeah are they still yeah. doing that are they yeah. still handing out checks to homeless people uh they and might how have, did they verify that you're homeless they might have adopted it and how food. did Gavin Newsom ever get married to that girl from Fox News <laughs> How did she get married to him? Yeah. He's kind of a looker. I don't you know. You know, you uh, know that, right? The the the, the uh-huh. uh, yeah. yeah, she's yeah, that was married to Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Anyway, there's somebody else in the room. There is someone else in the room, and I was yeah. just going to suggest Can that we, get him we bring him in. <laughs> we bring him into the conversation. Yeah, also dude. joining us, yeah, uh, is the esteemed gentleman, great refinement, much learning, senior editor. Reason and Reason.com. Name check the book where he writes various things about law, politics, and history. Author of uh, the recent book, Overruled, The Long War for Control of the Supreme Court. Ladies and gentlemen, Supreme Court nominee, Damon Root. Yay. Thank you. Amazing. We could probably get Merrick Garland in here, too, could yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he was on the corner yeah. asking yeah. for a nickel. I saw him at Sparrows. <laughs> <laughs> well, Damon, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for, uh, for hanging out with thank, us today. Thank you. It's great to be here in this, this is, decadent uh, coastal line. Yes, yes. It's amazing. And you, you'll notice it says the fifth column up on the wall here because yeah. we're very, very official. Fancy. No one else can see that, but you can. So yeah, you know that beautiful. it's true. 
Um, and you're also sitting in a, in a throne <laughs> yeah. that is uh, covered in gold. Like Axel Rose. Um, broken <clears throat> Damon's also a big metal fan, by the way. So Maybe. if you have, get, get Damon on Twitter and ask him questions about metal because he knows a ton about metal, right? Yeah, I don't know anything about metal. Is that true? I reluctant to admit that. I like I like metal music on yes. occasion. Okay. Remind Damon and I were talking beforehand before uh, Moynihan started coming here and talking about World Party. Mm-hmm. Oh, great! Christ. We talked about the band World Party. I hadn't thought we of it. I also uh, don't but, know what uh, that is. Damon and I were talking yeah. about uh, the first uh, concerts that he went to. And remind the listeners what was your first concert when I was remind uh, them when yeah remind them to my to all my we family. We have so few listeners; they're all friends of Damon. Damon's wife knows the answer, and she's a listener. Oh, good. Well, well, what is the answer to so when i was 11 i went and saw cinderella winger oh. winger and the bullet boys did any pair of jeans in that arena have its full you know, sort of it front was, uh, they were all no. shredded by a tiger there was a lot of shredded jeans uh, wow. stonewashed oh, yeah. wow i uh, remember this name of uh, uh cinderella's singer it was tom Kiefer. yeah yeah, that's. I have a. My brother and I always talk about this. I have a vast reservoir of names of hair metal band members, and I really have always wished I could replace them with like members of the Politburo or something, no. or like members of Trump's cabinet. I'm like, I know that <laughs> I just Bobby remember... Blotzer was the drummer for Rat, but I don't know who the assistant AG is. I just yeah. remember because of uh, Decline uh, Western Civilization Part Two, which so is our greatest documentary. Oh my God. Uh, Rick from Odin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so good. And if and listeners out there, you on. don't. have have to like the repulsive music that comes out of your speakers <laughs> watching that movie. Oh yeah. my but Penelope Spheris' documentary, Decline of Western Civilization Part 2, is one of the masterpieces of subtle mockery because everyone in the movie thinks they're being taken seriously and they're not. Except for Ozzy. Yeah. Uh, Ozzy's the, yeah, but it is a very, very funny a movie. Ravura uh, performance. It is Ozzie. really funny. Who is yeah. it in the pool? That's a dude from Wasp. That's uh, right. that's Chris Holmes, the guitar player yeah. from Wasp, with his mother. Who's since turned into like a neo Nazi, I think. Oh, he has. Turned? Oh, he's, I love the fact Come that out of the closet, is it? Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's like basically an all right metal guy. Oh my God! And Dave Mustaine, the singer from uh, Megadeth, big, big uh, right winger, is a big right winger in like conspiracy theories. He's like a FEMA camps guy. Yeah, they, that's n- none of this is surprising. But anyway, well, I'll tell you who it's surprising to me because I have no idea what the hell you guys yeah. are talking about. So uh, I think we have met our obscure <laughs> pop culture you're, reference. By the way, you're never blind until the day. music comes up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I like. Doesn't Camille like fish? Well, no, I, I I don't like fish. I don't know anything about fish except that my very good friend Dan Hayes is a fan of fish. So when I hear people attacking fish, I think to myself, that can't be right because Dan Hayes is wonderful. Do you know who Dan else likes Hayes fish? I found out today through uh, listener uh, Garrett Quinn. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know yeah. anything about fish. I do Ivanka, know a great Ivanka deal Trump. about uh, Dave I Matthews. I, I really I really like Garrett Quinn, and we should have him on the show just so he can talk and everyone will be uh, – I was laughing. Yeah, because uh, Garrett Quinn is from uh, Boston. That does not – is fucking unrestrained in his accent. If we get you, Garrett uh, Quinn, and Dave Lee here <laughs> and just have a mass off. <laughs> I just don't know who Dave Lee is, the husband of uh, Kennedy. Uh, and and, 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 the and by the way, let me. I saw Dave Lee today. And by the way, the man who is uh, almost single-handedly responsible for the creation of the show. This exactly. is true. So that's why we name check Dave Lee. This so. is true. And this and true. and by the way, if you go to YouTube and um, type in Dave Lee's name, you'll get all these videos of him. he was a professional snowboarder. And I'll tell one quick story about Dave Lee. Uh, I talked to his friend today. Dave and I went to see a show downtown, an old uh, sort of shoegaze band from the from England in the nineties called Swerve Driver. Oh, so yeah. we, on the way out, we we had Dave, we were at the t shirt stand, and there was some kid, and he was like looking at Dave, and he's like, "Oh my god." 
you're Dave Lee. And I was like, what, I think, does you owe him money or something? What's like, and, and, and he was like a huge fan. Like in the snowboard world, he's like royalty. Yes, he is. And, and the like, champion, and the champion and the, snowboarder. And, and I want to say that, you know, as concert, concert t-shirts are expensive. He gave us two t-shirts, me and one, and one to Dave uh, at, the, at the band's expense because he was, he was such a big fan of Dave Lee, the snowboarder. Wow. So Dave, wow. look at his videos on YouTube. He's great. Well, it's, it's nice when that sort of thing happens. I mean, that happens to me all the time when I'm walking around with like Matt Welch. Like mm. people will stop him on the street and say, oh my God, you're Matt Welch. That's yeah. actually happened for real. Yeah. It's funny. That's when not I, a joke. When That's I really go happened. to play, I was at the Free State uh, Projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably higher uh, name rec- recognition. Liberty uh, Forum <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. And when I go to places like that, yeah. they stop me in the street and say, what's Camille like? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So so really one, one tender. Word. You know, uh, in real firm. America, there's a lot of big fans of Camille. New- I'm not surprised New York, by that. New York City? I mean, yeah. not he's not trending on New York Twitter. I don't know if that's true, but I think in, I don't know if that's true. Hampshire, but this is yeah. making me uncomfortable. So At go least ahead. It's yes. making me feel bad Make, about let's myself. Let's talk about issues. A great deal has happened. Yeah, in the in the days more than a week since we were last here. Um, Tom Brady has uh, cemented himself as the greatest football player of all time. Yes, he has. Apparently, mm-hmm. I, I don't think anyone disputes that. I no? do. No. Yeah. You do. Five yeah, Super know, Bowls, four MVPs. Yeah, Jim Brown's yeah. good football okay. player. Daryl yeah. Stingler, right, is fine. Good but that's not oh. all that happened. Oh. That's not all that. <laughs> that's not all that happened. What? I'm um, saying he's a good football player. Do- Donald wow. Trump. Donald Trump sits down with Bill O'Reilly. Decent stats. Donald Trump sits down with Bill O'Reilly, um, and he insists that uh, Russia and the United States are exactly the same, same and thing. that there's no problem same thing. between the two. I, I don't know that that's exactly what he said, but kind of, sort of. Yeah, and, I'm sure and you guys don't have any problems. with that. It's also true because a member of uh, Reason Staff this week was poisoned by some unknown chemical, I'm sure, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. if they wrote something against uh, the regime... That'll happen. I think it's uh, self poisoning. Yeah, what's going on? Kind of like what Camille's doing well, with the Adderall over there in the corner. We can, uh, we could, we could come back to that. But I mean, sure. we we live in it. We live in the uh, in Trump's America. I mean, yeah. we we find ourselves enduring twelve to sixteen scandals or incredibly important stories, urgent matters that are happening um, every single day. Uh, at least according to the New York Times. So we have to try to sort through all of these things. I mean, the controversy with uh, Donald Trump at halftime of the Super Bowl happened Sunday night. That's... And by Monday... I'm sorry? No, I mean, that is like a lifetime ago. I yeah, don't even it, it really does feel like to. a lifetime ago. And and the very next morning, the new controversy was all about President Banning and something having to do with a, a, a bathrobe that the president almost certainly does not have, but was apparently accused of wandering around the White House in while he complained about media coverage, um, all of which was related to the fact that he had signed some executive order without really knowing what was in it or perhaps more than one because he gave Bannon a seat on the National Security Council. I I don't know. I'm just saying that there's a lot of stuff. And all I'm talking about at this point is the small window of time from like Sunday evening to Monday morning, what? late Monday morning. We just go today. Which is remarkable. Let's work back from so, today. So perhaps we should start with today. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we're starting with, I guess, Thursday night. It's Friday right now. But Thursday night when an appeals court decided to uphold a lower court ruling with respect to the – should we call it the Muslim ban or the travel ban? What, what's I a mean, travel ban? It's a tra- okay. It is a travel ban. But, but people but like to call it the Muslim ban. It. You know, I mean, I'll, I, you know, it's, it reminds me of that scene in Coming to America. You know, which if which one? Wants, the bathtub you know, scene? You know, it's like – 
the man's Cassius Clay. He's like, Mama called him Cassius Clay. Remember that whole thing? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, he wants to be called Muhammad Ali. I'll call him Muhammad Ali. It's like, I'm going to go with what Trump wants to call it because he's always calling it a ban. And I believe he's using the word Muslim within close proximity to ban. Hmm. It's not a Muslim ban. 80% obviously of, of, of the world's Muslims is outside of these seven countries. But that's kind he, of what they're telegraphing, he, right? He was the first one to call it a Muslim ban. Yes. Yeah, so he, he did insist that he would pass yeah. a ban on all Muslims. Uh, if, in the interest of fairness, I will call it a travel ban. Sure. But I'm, I'm also going to kick this to Damon Root because yeah. apparently, Damon, there is all sorts of nonsense going on today related to this travel ban. What is the actual status of the executive order um, and what is the, the conflict, the nature of the conflict that we are uh, seeing playing out in the courts? Well, the, the, the latest was breaking as we were here in the studio, so I'm not entirely okay. up to speed on that. But it appears that the full Ninth Circuit has decided to hear the case again. Okay. The way it typically works with a federal appellate court is your matter goes before three-judge three judge panel. You lose, you can appeal to uh, the en-bank court, which means a full sitting, 12 or 15 justices, depending on the circuit. Or you could appeal to the Supreme Court and not try to do it over in the uh, federal appellate court. This, it sounds like from what I've seen, and this is, I'm going on limited information, that a judge on the Ninth Circuit is the one who sparked this rehearing by the full court, which is something that their rules allow them to do. Is, is and, that common, though? That's very uncommon. It's very uncommon. uncommon. Yeah, and that's, what, that's highly unusual. What is a typical motivation to do that, if there is one? It could be that they really think that the that the three judge panel was wrong. They think that the matter is too important and should be heard again. The issues are too big. Um, you know, it's, I'm sort of speculating. There, now, but it, could it, could a, there be a political motivation for this? A, a judge who is a, a conservative judge appointed by a conservative president, and a, of course, the president himself is saying, you know, very liberal courts, you know, highest overturn, you know, rate of, of of things being overturned with the Supreme Court. Is this possible that it, it is a political move within the court itself? That's that's conceivable. I mean, yeah. I have no no knowledge that. Will uh, we find out the judge, the name of the judge who actually forces? Is that is that open? I have not seen that. But will, is it, will that information eventually become public? I, I suspect it would be public eventually. So if we walk through the what happened here, so the the president who has a lot of leeway in setting, making you know pretty draconian immigration considerations, made a pretty like a mother of all draconian uh, executive orders here, which was challenged by the uh, uh, Washington State. Uh, mm-hmm. State judge. of Washington. Yeah. I think this is back on the fourth. Of, <clears throat> right. Of he put February. he put the temporary restraining order on it uh, because the uh, saying that some of the people affected uh, didn't have their due process respected, and then all right and and, and just jump in and, and correct my uh, narrative as I, as I go here, and also that this might uh, violate like establishment clause stuff because it might be a Muslim ban, even though the word Muslim isn't anywhere near it. So that there's two or three like challenges there within his temporary restraining order. Do I have that? Yeah. So this begins with Washington state filing a constitutional and statutory challenge that the government is violating the constitution, violating the due process clause, violating the equal protection component of the due process clause, violating the non-establishment of religion clause, uh, violating the substantive liberty to travel, freedom to travel, which the court has recognized in the past as an unwritten right. Uh, and then also violating federal immigration laws, which, as you say, do, in fact, def- uh, d- delegate a, a vast amount of authority to the president. But nonetheless, they're saying this goes beyond what's delegated. 
So that's the that's the the original case filed by Washington State. What the judge says, and this is common, is for the courts to basically hit the pause button on the enforcement of a law in a preliminary matter. It's usually a preliminary injunction. In this case, it's a temporary restraining order, which is one step below that. And I could get into that if you want. And just put it on pause to allow the merits challenge, the constitutional and statutory challenge to proceed in court. But to get one of these temporary injunctions or restraining orders, what you have to show is that the uh, the A, you have a, a likelihood of succeeding on the merits of your case, of your constitutional case. This sort of balance of factors are in your favor. It's in the public interest for this to happen. And, and there's a few other factors along those lines. So the district court judge said that, yes, they have a likelihood of succeeding on the merits. And um, it's in the public interest to stop this and issued – and this is what's unusual – issued a nationwide temporary uh, restraining order. Because there was like five different court cases, right? There is, there's multiple cases happening around the country in multiple different uh, circuits. Different and, and most of those circuits weren't acting in a nationwide way. They're just like, hey, we're in western Massachusetts and we are – Typically, the, these kind of orders would be for the, the jurisdiction that judge has or maybe the, the circuit that, that the court is within. Now, we have had – we've had these nationwide injunctions in the past, but it's a little more unusual for that to happen. And so that is really what kicks off this firestorm, uh, that, that the law is on hold Everywhere in the country. And so then and then things start rolling, rolling from there. Now, I remember uh, at the time, uh, our uh, great colleague, Jacob Sullum, uh, wrote that he found that the Washington judge was was kind of stepping out over his skis a little bit. That it was pretty unusual, <coughs> his reasoning or or the extent of it, given the leeway that the president has over this. You, I think you mean to use the phrase so-called judge. That's right. The, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the so-called judge. The Washington. so-called judge. As, as he was so-called by the president of the United but States then, on Twitter. But then when this thing is challenged, mm-hmm. when the when the Trump administration challenges it to the Ninth Circuit, which again is a liberal circuit, but still a three-court uh, panel, three-court, uh, uh, three-judge uh, panel, they're unanimous, and one of those is, is a Bush appointee. Clifton. Um, uh, it seems one of the weird things about this is, is that it seems like the Trump administration's arguments were – terrible like they couldn't yeah. i mean the the washington judge got some stuff wrong he said that uh, oh there hasn't been any terrorism related charges from anybody from these seven con- countries uh in the uh in the in the big uh seven country ban and the government lawyers like yeah i don't know man <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there have been i mean yeah. not many but there have been well right? that came up the the the, the, the <laughs> doj lawyer uh, uh did bring that bring bring i bring up i believe this uh, people from somalia who had been arrested on some charges so that in the oral argument for the ninth circuit that came up but it wasn't in the briefing mm-hmm. and it's not part of the record it's not part of the record in the briefs of the case and so that is uh, that's yeah that's not great Great, a great showing by the Justice Department on that issue, and that hurts. I mean, that hurts them. You know, and typically wouldn't wouldn't Justice Department and government lawyers go over an order like this and try to anticipate the weak parts? Well, of it? That, now we get to sort of the original sin of, yeah. of the executive order, which is that it was drafted by you know. Um, uh, someone who probably failed law school. I mean, it and was, that's what it seemed like to you. That's really? what it seemed like to me. That's what it seemed like to a lot of people. And that's part yeah. of why they're having this, this these problems now. Uh, the so the legal challenge, you know, so the order does several things. It bans uh, there's temporary ban on on refugees, and then there's temporary travel ban on individuals from these seven Muslim majority countries. The, the government, the, the the president's power is at its broadest in terms of keeping the refugees out, banning refugees. That that is probably constitutional. Uh, I disagree with it as a policy, but that there's probably not constitutional problems with that, or it's going to be harder to make a constitutional case. Those against people that. don't even have a pinky toe in this country, Correct. so they're not. Uh, uh, 
none of our constitutional protections have anything to do with those people. Well, they, they, don't, they don't have rights under the Constitution, but there's still a question of what the government's exercise of power is because the Constitution has individual rights in it, but then there's also structural provisions that limit what the government can do. And so the government can't impose a religious test for entry. Even if those – even if refugees don't have constitutional rights, the government still can't Got impose a, a religious test. So there's still an establishment clause argument to be made there. But when we're talking about uh, lawful permanent residents, green card holders, people who have visas, who have paper, who are in this country right. and who have left and now they can't come back because of the order. I mean those people have due process rights. They're persons under the due process clause which says no person shall be denied uh, life, liberty or property without due process. Of law. So now, they have so the, procedural due process yeah. rights at, the, at a minimum. So these questions clearly still have to be adjudicated. We don't right. know where any of this will land and I mean there are plenty of – I guess we could have a conversation about sort of the quality of these – the, the various legal arguments that have been uh, put forth here. Um, but I, I'm wondering about sort of something else, which is, I guess, Judge Knapp, um, who we all know, actually also wrote something at Reason. And you've wrote, written quite a bit up about this. Uh, but Judge Knapp took the position that the president has a great deal of latitude when it comes to matters of foreign policy. And rather than looking at this sort of narrowly as a question about immigration, from his standpoint, it is at least – and perhaps it's is mostly about the injunction itself. Um, from his standpoint, the court second-guessing the president in a matter of national security um, is something that is completely untenable and unacceptable. Uh, I'm not sure that washes. Uh, do, do you have a perspective on uh, that? You know, I, I like the judge uh, quite a bit, but I think I think that's way wrong and that's that's way too far. I mean, that's the Trump administration's argument, yeah. Bush administration's made. I mean, the, the executive makes these kind of arguments, which is that when the executive branch is acting in the name of national security, it's unreviewable by the courts. Yeah. And those kind of arguments have lost repeatedly at the court. Now, the the legal standard is that the executive has gets quite a bit of deference and that the courts do want to be hesitant about, uh, quote unquote, second guessing. But we have seen the executive's um, detention policies at Guantanamo Bay and the Razul case, Razul v. Bush, and then the follow-up case, Boumedidine v. Bush. That was executive orders uh, saying that non-citizen detainees at Guantanamo Bay do not have uh, habeas corpus rights. And the Supreme Court ruled against the Bush administration in both those cases. So there's precedence. I guess if you, you maybe the judge is making some sort of original meaning type of argument and he's ignoring those precedents or saying mm -hmm. they're wrong. Um, but just as a matter of constitutional law, the, the executive's powers, even when acting in the name of national security, are not unlimited. I mean, no, none of this surprised me. And people have pointed this out quite a bit that in Trump's inauguration speech and recently there was something about this yesterday of a president uh, that rarely mentions – concepts of liberty and democracy but didn't was non-existent in that kind of yeah. really bizarro Bannon uh, Stephen Miller uh, inauguration speech so I mean the legal arguments here and and when I was listening to people talking about this and people who know you know sort of the kind of area that you know is that these things are so hastily written they're political policies really flabby shabby political policies that work backwards, kind of trying to find a legal argument, but it seems like they're not even really trying hard, that hard. I mean, Trump's arguments, the administration's arguments, Sean Spicer defending this stuff, are none of them are legal arguments. They're kind of, you know, immoral, moral arguments. We're saying a moral argument being, it is a moral argument, whether you think that it's, it's, it's morally immoral, that we're trying to prevent these people, we're trying to save the American people and prevent these scumbags from coming here. And that's how, I, I mean, not my words, those are essentially what they're saying. But it's a strange thing to, to behold because... You know, this lives or dies, and this is the question, I mean, question for you, Damon, is that, is that what kind of long-term ripple effect does it have beyond the, the sort of projection 
of executive power, which we've seen in the past two administrations especially, but out of the gate, just signing, signing, signing in with, with weak legal reasoning, weak legal defenses, very, very little review from the Justice Department itself. I mean, does this have some sort of long-term effect? I mean, if they kind of cascade and lose, and they seem to be losing this thing, the, the legal arguments seem to be flimsy, and the, the executive order itself seems to be indefensible in so many ways. Is this something that actually hurts them in the long run? Or is it, can they just, you know, you know what, we lost this. Does, do you think that actually provides a kind of bad precedent for them and actually trying to set immigration policy vis-a-vis the sort of Muslim world? Well, you know, there, there's several, I think there's several parts to that. One is the administration's stance towards the courts, calling a judge, so-called judge, saying that, you yeah. know, when Trump talking about the fifth, uh, the Ninth Circuit, saying, well, this is something even fifth graders would understand. I mean, no federal judge likes the sound of that, is going to appreciate is that, that. Is that unprecedented? I know people kind of p- pick out, FDR said this about the court, Obama expressed disappointment in su- such and such a ruling. Is this kind of language unprecedented as far as you know? Trump's uh, – there is a – there's a historical context for these kind of attacks. So they're not unprecedented. Mm-hmm. FDR does in fact uh, attempt to undermine the independence of the uh, the courts. Obama so certainly – Court packing. Court packing. The yeah, court packing. And, ex- and expand the court too. Uh, one of the things – I would say that the, 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 what's most similar is between Trump and Obama where you have cases that are be, that are pending before the court and the president goes to the media, gets on the bully pulpit um, and tries to shape the outcome while the case is being deliberated. That de- uh, is under deliberation. And there were two two situations like that. Well, the most notable thing with Obama was uh, in 2012 when Obamacare was before the Supreme Court, late March 2012, less than a week after the oral arguments. Obama gave a press conference where he basically lectured the Supreme Court. It would be judicial activism for you to overturn this. Mm-hmm. You conservatives uh, have, have been saying for decades you care about judicial restraint. Well, this is the case for you to you know to, to walk the walk. You here it is. It's a democratically enacted statute. It's the will of the people expressed through the president and Congress and this health care law. And it's written so clearly. I think he also. I mean, he went so far as to suggest that people would die, didn't he? If well, if, if, the, if the law was overturned, there was by the, the courts. that was part of the rhetoric around. The, the, the both times in the healthcare was well, several uh-huh. of the times when the healthcare case was before the, before the Supreme Court, and um, you know, and that's you know, Trump is talking about something similar. People are going to die if but the is, court rules but against is, me. Is the difference though in language? I mean, to just boil it down to its most basic thing. I mean, when Obama gets up there and gives a kind of flowery speech, um, true or not, agree or disagree about judicial activism, and then you have someone like uh, Donald Trump saying you know, so-called judges. I mean, attacking the actual judges themselves. I mean, that person, is that kind of how, how we process this differently? And are they effectively the same thing? I, I would, I think you could say that what Trump has done is gone beyond what's, what's happened before with the singling out of the judge, with the attempt to really um, undermine the outcome of the case. But then again, that is the sort of thing we have seen. Teddy Roosevelt went mm-hmm. to war against the Supreme Court. Franklin Roosevelt obviously did. Not who just it, the court. Who was it that said, uh, make, let him try and come in and force it? Well, that's there. That's um, John Marshall has made his ruling. Now let him enforce it. That's yeah. something that's subscribed to Andrew John or Andrew Jackson. It's not clear that Jackson said that, oh. but the sentiment was there that Jackson we. Jackson disobeyed federal court orders. Lincoln disobeyed federal court orders. So we've had situations where the executive and the judicial branch have have truly been at odds, and there's been a constitutional crisis where the executive. But in, in modern times, I mean, since let's say in post-war America, it's kind of unique, right? It's unique. It's yeah. unique. And Trump, kind of right out of the gate, you know, the fix for this executive order is to is to redraft it. Is to which which is today they suggest they might do, but it's it's unclear. They've there's since. 
been suggestion that, oh, okay, now maybe we're going to fight this out in the court after all, especially in the uh, the new Ninth Circuit. So it's Circuit. an executive order mulligan. That's right. <laughs> 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 re- well, the thing over. is, the thing is, and and uh, Damien might disagree, but uh, I I think that if they went back and drafted it clearly, like in the in the arguments in front of the Ninth Court and uh, Ninth Circuit. Um, the, uh, the the Trump lawyer said, well, hey, look, why don't we just do this so that it doesn't affect, you know, the green card holders and you can narrow it. So like people who are already in America, it's like, we, we won't it won't affect them. And the Ninth Circuit says, no, thank you. We're not going to rewrite your law right. or your executive <laughs> order here, uh, pal. Uh, so if they went back and actually drafted it in such a way that put in just a tiny bit of due process here, which didn't do the Steve Bannon move. And let's be clear, it was a Steve Bannon move. There was a moment when him and uh, and Kelly from the Department of Homeland Security were arguing about whether this should affect green card holders. And normally, uh, Kelly, said, you know, rationally, uh, Kelly said, my God, no. What are you even talking about? That's uh, half a million people. And this, this was reported in the papers, one of the many, 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 many leaks that have emanated from the uh, from the Trump White House. Yeah, and Bannon a, a, insisted a on doing it. And then uh, after 48 hours of outcry, they walked it back. So, but if they go back and just draft it well, I think it'll pass legal muster. And by, and by the mean, way, on the leak point is when I saw um this uh this uh, report of uh Elliot Abrams uh potentially uh, joining the wise of Rand Paul's been very upset about this, this sort of classic neocon is that this is the funny thing about this and I think this is why it's such a leaky ship is that when you have kind of neo-traditionalists like um Steve Bannon, who has actually used that phrase. I mean, he's mm-hmm. more that than alt-right. I mean, he, he's a kind of, you know, this stupid piece in the Times today, which I may have put up on Twitter. But, you know, the, what Bannon believes, his kind of ideology, as kind of weirdly complicated as that is, there are not many of them, right? There aren't that many people that exist in the universe of kind of populist nationalism in the conservative movement that want to keep and hold the White House and the Houses of Congress who can actually staff a White House effectively. Right. So you have a number of people in there that are horrified by this. And I've heard this from multiple people is that, look, Trump thinks that willy nilly like, you know, I, I, the Iraq war was wrong. Neocons. He doesn't sort of understand the concept. So he doesn't actually use that phrase, by the way. Weirdly, you never hear him say that. He never says neoconservatives or if he has done it, he hasn't done it very frequently. And he's so willy nilly that it's almost like who's ever in the Fox green room. You have like KT McFarland, uh, you know, John Bolton is in there now, Elliot Abrams. And it's like there's going to be an, a, a just fundamental tension amongst these people that are establishment Republicans, a lot of them in the sort of neoconservative bent, yeah. in the neoconservative vein, that are in there saying, yeah, we're the only Republicans that have some kind of type of experience governing from the White House. You need us come in here. And they're like, this is an absolute horror show. In all of those leaks, you can't, I mean, the Washington Post had a story the first week, second week of the Trump administration, in which they sort of ostentatiously cited their eight independent sources. Think about, it's unbelievable. This is happening with uh, Flynn, another story that happened uh, today, Michael Flynn, right? This is yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, remember, he came out and said that, oh, that phone call that I had with the Russian foreign minister, I guess it was. Um, ambassador, yeah. Uh, ambassador uh, in December talking about yeah. that. We didn't talk about sanctions. We talked yeah. about other stuff. Why would you lie about a phone call that everybody in the world, and I mean everybody, is uh, wiretapping? 
Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. and so there was the stories yeah. that came out today. I think the Washington Post uh, had nine different sources <laughs> from intelligence and other places in, in the White House saying, yes, what he said publicly about this phone call is absolute garbage bullshit. Um, and they did talk explicitly about sanctions. And, and, and by, there's lots of proof. And, about the, that. and, and the, the proof of that beyond the eight anonymous, anonymous sources was uh, the question being put to Mike Pence. The vice president responds and says, well, I don't know what they talked about. Backing away from previous, you know, it's like, okay. And he said, oh, you know, I'm sorry. Mike -hmm. Pence had vouched for Flynn and -hmm. they asked him about this. And he said, oh, that's only because that's what Flynn told me himself. Yeah. Yeah. So So by the time this comes out, Flynn might not have a job. Well, I want to before we before we go too far down that road, I did want to sort of pick up one more thing. I mean, just talking about the precedent. I mean, there wasn't only the Obamacare um, issue uh, with the president. I I distinctly remember the State of the Union address where he has the Supreme Court sort of arrayed before in front of him. And he talks about it was the uh, Citizens United decision. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he is essentially scolding them uh, for making the wrong decision in that case. And I mean, look, I, clearly, you know a great deal more about this subject than I do. Uh, but when it comes to the president sort of scolding this judge, not by name, but in particular on Twitter um, and the president of the United States from inside of Congress during the State of the Union, criticizing um, the the judgment of the Supreme Court. I mean, I'd say that the stakes are pretty high in both of those circumstances. And, and there is a difference when Trump does things versus when the president does things. Um, and, and that has a hell of a lot to do with the, re- the level of excitement that we're seeing. I mean, we talked a little bit last week about sort of the, the actual status quo when it comes to immigration in this country. The fact that throughout most of the Obama administration, Syrian refugees were not allowed to come to the United States. There was not a legal ban on them coming here, but there was a de facto ban. So what is it? De jure, de jure and de facto. Mm-hmm. So we, we have all of the excitement here in the United States now um, about the letter of this executive order. I was going to say the letter of the law, because that's the phrase, but the letter of this executive order um, and the fact that there is this pretense that pretext that the president was going to enact a Muslim ban. This is as close as he could get to a Muslim ban. This is gross and it offends our principles. Um, but then there is just kind of in practice. The fact of the matter is that there are tens of mil- ten more than what, 12 or 15 million, I think, since the beginning of the Syrian civil war, refugees, people who have been displaced um, in Syria most of whom are not allowed to come here. We're not allowed to come here. Fewer than 100 in certain years from the Obama administration. Um, clearly, it is different when President Trump actually explicitly does something than when President Obama or anyone else, for that matter, is essentially doing the same thing um, without making a declaration. The declaration makes it different. It is I, meaningful. It is meaningful. It's more than just words. Couple, couple but things on that. there is something to be said about just sort of the different way that it is interpreted by, by the public in general. True. But we're blocking all refugees from coming in this country for four months. That's a very draconian step. We're taking the the, the raw number of refugees down from 110,000, the target number, sure. down from 110,000 to 50,000. We're cutting that in half at a time when the global refugee population in the last four years has increased by about 60 or 70 percent from 10 million uh-huh. to 16 million. So uh, it is a draconian and recently unprecedented step and should be recognized as such. Also, the, uh, the seven-country ban um, goes beyond what has been considered uh, any time recently. Like I, it's think, just, I think all of that is true, but I think the larger. point, the yeah, point I'm making, right. though, is that, in fact, 
no one was really allowed to come here from Syria mm-hmm. until last year. Like that is that well, is part of truth. that was because they were going through security screening. Which, yeah, it, which, it actually, which Donald it, Trump yeah, claims it, it, doesn't it, exist. It's, it's right. It actually upends Trump's own argument because the idea of extreme vetting, uh, extreme vetting already exists, mm-hmm. and there's a number of actually really well reported stories recently. And yeah, the the you're right on the hammer falls on Donald Trump much more in the media, uh, whereas these extreme vetting measures would be particularly onerous and offensive, no matter who the president was. And these stories didn't come out during the Obama years. And we've actually been a country that it has, has been pretty shameful about, about refugees. I mean, I don't know. It, it dep- I, I think of immigration in this country in two entirely different ways. I think, of, I think of European immigration in a very, very different way than I think of immigration, which I'm very, very pro-immigration in the United States. I'm a little more skeptical in Europe. But, you know, we broke Iraq. And we took the lowest number of Iraqi refugees than any country but, like, Liechtenstein. We had, like, 10,000 refugees. It's like, sorry for destroying the country and unleashing the hellhounds of jihadism in your country. But yet, don't – you're you're not going to come here. That's – I mean, so the moral case against um, – uh, against sort of refugees coming to to the United States is based on its bizarro premise. The number of Syrians that are that are slipping into to Europe and committing crimes and committing uh, sort of terrorist acts is, uh, I would say, too high. One is too high, but that is actually not the root of the problem of terrorism in mm-hmm. Western Europe. And so, what the the Trump administration is actually assuming that we're all going to believe terrorist attack happens in in Berlin. Terrorist attack happens in Paris or Brussels or whatever, and you see the names, and they all sort of kind of look the same to you. Sometimes have Muhammad. There's an L dash something in there, and you say, "Good God, these refugees!" And you know, as we know, that ninety percent of these people are from the countries Citizens. where they're attacking, or they're second generation, et cetera. So, I mean, the whole premise of it, and, and you know, it, it's it's repeating an argument that's been made ad infinitum since this thing was tabled by the president, but. You know, to keep the Saudis off of this is an abomination. If you actually want to do something like this, I don't want to do this, but let's pretend that we do. And to keep Saudi Arabia for political reasons out of this ban well, you is know what the unbelievable. Trump, but I mean, you know what the Trump people- administration says is like, oh, that's good that you brought that up because the Saudis and the Pakistanis, or maybe they say the Pakis. In, yeah, in <laughs> probably. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're next. Uh, so there's, there's good nothing. luck with that. I want I want to uh, touch on <laughs> an, another thing that you said and throw this to uh, Damon, uh, a thing that might be different. Mm. There's a contextual response here that I think is is interesting and different. So Obama acts like I think a total shit heel uh, to the Supreme Court on the Citizens United thing when I think was it Alito who was like shaking his head and saying not true about Citizens and he was right and Obama was wrong his characterization in the State of the Union Mm -hmm. address and and, and I had forgotten that Obama was trying to work the refs before the Obamacare uh, decision which is uh, I think also uh, very unseemly but he's addressing there mm-hmm. a, a case that's already come down through the court, right? Uh, What's that? Uh, the, during the president, during the during state, state of the union, yes. yes. But the In Obamacare the thing, case, no. no. Sure. Uh, but here's something that I've noticed flower up as soon as you know Trump started tweeting about the so-called judge and other kind of stuff on the right. Uh, and this came out in a Pat Buchanan uh, piece that I uh, uh, forwarded to the class. <laughs> That's a sentence you're not going to hear in like two years. <laughs> uh, which is that yeah. there is a whole a group on the right who's like. Yes, let's break Jeez, the judges. Yeah. Okay. Let's break the judiciary right now. Can't we just split up the Ninth Circuit? Let's just go for it. There's some kind of Article 2 or Article 3, like uh, a philosophy here that, that escapes me and maybe Damien can address. But I was on a radio show that I do every uh, week, Alan Nathan. 
there. And uh, he sort of set up our discussion of this of like, you know, at some point when these liberal judges do their things, isn't it time for the citizenry to get armed and provide their own justices when they get involved in the in the politics yeah, of it? You sake. didn't hear this kind of contextual response mm-hmm. from Democrats and the left whenever Obama didn't get his way. You heard other nonsense garbage, uh, but you didn't. Well, they, they don't really you do didn't, Second Amendment stuff. You didn't so. hear this. <laughs> it's a little different. But you didn't hear yeah. this level Showering of Showering like, them with quinoa. Let's go break the courts. Fuck the judges. So. Oh, what by the way, all while supporting the ex- ridiculous expansion of executive power, too. Of like, what? Not yes. even just. I mean, it's 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 it makes you dizzy to, to pay attention to this stuff. So, right? Damon, address all that. The Go. the original uh, fuck the judge that, position. Yeah, I think what you actually mean to say is, Damon, can you co-sign? But yeah. please, the, the, no, actually, I, I want to figure out. The original fuck the judge position is the progressive <laughs> position. That is the progressives of the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s. Mm. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt, 1912, when he's running for president as a capital P progressive, as an independent, he one of his issues is the uh, judicial – it's called the judicial recall. Uh, the ability of the people to recall by vote uh, judges and decisions that they don't like. Oh, and he mm-hmm. rails against the uh, the bake shop case. For those of you, you legal nerds out there, that's Lochner versus New York, the 1905 decision. Where the Camille's Supreme Court, fist pumping, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So where the Supreme Court recognizes a right to economic liberty and strikes down a uh, a state law regulating the hours of uh, bakery workers. At Roosevelt thought that that was. Um, conservative judicial activism to put a sort of anachronistic label on it. And he wanted to break the courts and empower Congress and the president to do the will of the people and to carry out this progressive legislation. Cousin Franklin, a couple decades later, attempts to do this through the court packing plan where he gets to add, um, basically make the court up to 15 members, add uh, multiple new justices, also as many as I think it was 44 federal judges as well. They would all be New Deal friendly people. And this is why FDR and the New Deal are hated today by people on the left because they love America and they love its institutions and they want them to be stable. That, I think that was sarcasm. sarcasm. That is sarcasm. <laughs> so bad sarcasm. at it. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> I, I believe he sold it. I believed it. Yeah. Shit, eyes, what I, happened to Camille? I blame his Jamaican background. Go ahead. <laughs> so when, when uh, Pitchfork Pitchfork Pat Buchanan, um, <laughs> that uh, that uh, great American that he is, um, is is making this sort of argument. I mean, he's drawing from the progressive era approach to the courts. And one of the things that's interesting is how this is sort of flipped. You know, the the people on the right are now the ones mm-hmm. who are arguing that the that the courts sitting as super legislatures, it's judicial activism, all this sort of thing. That was a left wing progressive opinion once upon a time. It could be a left-wing position again. I mean, if we see a, enough of a Supreme Court, there was a little bit of that uh, around the Heller Citizens case, United Citizens Heller. United. There's a bit, you know, there's a bit of that. That's that's still out there on the left. I mean, there there are there are um, left-wing law professors who, who sort of take that view. The problem for our friends on the left is Roe v. Wade, uh, the right to privacy, gay marriage, gay rights, Lawrence versus Texas. Those are all cases where the Supreme Court struck down a duly enacted popular enacted law, thwarted the will of the majority, um, protected unpopular rights against the tyranny of the majority, you know, that sort of thing. And um, which is what the court is for. That is how that works. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, you know, the subject of my book is this debate. And it's a great, great book. My 
God, is it a good book. Thank you. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm sorry, was that sarcasm? <laughs> yes. No. It clearly no, was. Uh, I have named that. If Camille book. said that, I would have been like, God, that, that was, was the sarcasm. best <laughs> book in the year that it came out. By far the best book I read that year. It was. It's so, re- I mean, and I'm not I'm not a Supreme Court guy at all. I don't give a shit about you know, Lochner. But it was riveting. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it made me give a shit about Lochner and a bunch of other stuff. And if you want to understand what the divisions are in the court right now in general and also where the divisions are, and maybe we should segue to Gorsuch uh, on this because yes. he kind of embodies uh, some of this. There's the tension on the right is between the Robert Bork side, which is much more on that uh, historical progressivism of judicial deference, which was a reaction to the Warren court going all over the place on on race and other uh, hot button issues in the 50s and 60s. Um, and then there's a libertarian wing of, you know, if you're going to call you know libertarians among the conservatives, but in the, the broad federalist society spectrum, the Randy Marnett people are saying, no, the courts are here actually to step in when the executive and the legislative go nuts and they should step in. And that's how we revert some stuff. Uh, so where does Gorsuch fit in? Yeah. To, and, to and, that and for our listeners, I think that my instant thing when I knew that you were coming and I was happy that you were coming today was that. Just in the most basic way, what do you think of the pick, too? Yeah. Uh, so I, I like Gorsuch, um, and I've I've thought highly of him for a couple of years. Once I first uh, started reading his opinions, was aware of him. I've got some major differences with him on a few issues. On this question of the court's role and how deferential should the courts be, he's, um, he's pretty good in a lot of areas. And one of his signature issues is this thing called Chevron deference. This has to do with how much deference do the federal courts owe to executive branch agencies when it comes to the interpretation of federal statutes. And what the Chevron holding says is that uh, the courts should defer, bow to the interpretation favored by the executive branch agency charged with interpreting the statute. It's a little bit like letting the fox you know, guard the hen house. The, the executive branch gets to determine the scope of its own powers. There's a lot of, I think there's a lot of problems with that doctrine, but that's something that the Supreme Court holds to right now. Justice Scalia was a big proponent of that. He started to have some doubts towards the end. I think Clarence Thomas. You mean was, before he was that's murdered? That's why he killed him. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, yeah before the murder. The, yeah. uh, the Chevron the pillow. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. sarcasm. Yeah, right? Trust me, that's, I that's talked, sarcasm. To, talked to Alex Jones about that. I think he was murdered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by another Italian American. It's a long so by Judge Napolitano. Oh, Nick Gillespie. Oh, yeah. I, what's the legal ruling on that? Can I accuse Judge Napolitano of murdering Scalia? On a podcast? Is that protected He will speech? accuse you of murdering the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> what part of the Constitution Michael, said I yeah. killed Scalia? I don't kill Scalia! <laughs> you were saying, David. Sorry, David. We get off the rails sometimes. Yeah. You know, a couple of these Pacificos that are quite Yeah, they're quite delicious. Yeah, yeah. 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 And you can't, you can't actually see into the room, but Damon is here doing double duty. Uh, answering all of our our legal inquiries mm-hmm. and providing insight insights while opening beers mm. that are handed across. It's amazing how yeah, unprofessional Moynihan is. For as much of a drunkard that he's been since about age seven, yeah. uh, that he doesn't have the keychain opener. Yeah. I don't have the fucking keychain. <laughs> he just opens it with his eyeball eye yeah. socket like Super Joe Sharp. I lost my eye in a fucking fight in <laughs> Tipperary. <laughs> fucking open the bottles of my eye, you bastards. Uh, I don't know. Where we Damon, left off. I know. This is we where we're talking about Gorsuch. This is where Sorry. Camille comes in and was like, tries to like keep yeah. the kids in order. Yeah. I was going to so, talk, talk about Winger. I yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we got a Kip Winger. Uh, so Gorsuch, extra, Gorsuch extra is good feature. on that. He so, also his and and that uh, that case was an immigration case. That actually. was a, that was a case where an immigration board was trying to retroactively apply. Uh, a, a statute that didn't cover the issue, but retroactively apply it in order to kick somebody out of the country. So this is a this is a judge who's ruled against federal immigration authorities. 
in his, it's basically his signature issue. That's his signature case. Do, so, do you, I mean, do you think the administration was unaware of this? Yes. Trump? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, by the way, uh, the fastest Damon has uh, ever uh, answered uh, a question. Uh, uh, okay. I hadn't even finished. Yeah. The, um, Who's the lead singer of Winger? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kip Winger. Yeah. Kip, Wing, Kip Winger. Yeah. The, the deportation of Kip Winger. Yes, right. My new novel. Winger versus United States. <laughs> That's like every Winger album. Yeah. 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 Your Honor, she was only 17. <laughs> <laughs> the Kip, the Kip Wigger defense, yeah. <laughs> oh God! What so a uh, Winger, song. Winger deference. Yeah. He's Winger deference. He's definitely uh, on on board. But what's what's bad about him? Uh, the question of unenumerated rights. Uh, that's a, that's a big issue when it comes to the right to privacy. Where is that in the Constitution? It doesn't appear anywhere. The Supreme Court has recognized it. Do you have a right to privacy? There are conservatives and some liberals once upon a time who say if a right is not spelled out in the Constitution, you Mm -hmm. don't have it. Gorsuch has been very critical of the idea of the courts uh, meddling around in defense of unenumerated rights. He may think that maybe we have a right, but it should be decided by the legislature, not – if there's if there's a law restricting your privacy, take your complaint to the but ballot dude, box. Isn't is that it, like the Tenth Amendment or the Ninth Amendment? The Ninth Amendment yeah, says yeah. the enumeration well, of, of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others uh, retained in the Constitution. That is, many of us would point to that as a as a as in fact unenumerated rights are there in the Constitution. The Privileges or Immunities Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment also speaks to unenumerated rights. That's a that's a hot debate. That's um, it, one it, of is the big. He, in, in where the controversy lies with him, as far as you're concerned, is it privacy or is it another unenumerated right? Well, this came other? this came in the, the, his writings on this. He's, he hasn't issued any judicial opinions on this, but he wrote a book a few years ago uh, called "The Future of Assisted Suicide and Euthanasia." Oh, oh it's a yeah. cheerful. It's a cheerful topic. The Supreme Court heard a case called Glucksburg dealing with an Oregon law that banned assisted suicide. And so there was this question, do we have a right, a fundamental right, to physician-assisted suicide to kill ourselves? Uh, Death with dignity, advocates called it. And um, he's he's very critical of this and um, wrote a book. It's a very thoughtful, serious academic book. But he's critical not just of the idea that there's a that unenumerated right is in the Constitution, but that the due process clause, at least, protects any substantive uh, rights. So this would indicate – um, and I think Randy Barnett, who uh, uh, Nick Gillespie interviewed this week or last week, uh, spoke to this, that he might be a player on a Roe versus Wade challenge. Yes. Uh, he has not ruled on abortion rights one way or the other, but his writings in that book especially suggest that he uh, would have grave doubts about the, the the legality of Roe v. Wade and the underpinnings of it. Does that mean that the court will overturn it? That's a little harder to predict. But we are going to see more and more cases like the one that came out of Texas last year, Whole Woman's Health, where extremely uh, restrictive anti-abortion laws are put in place, basically narrowing access to abortion, narrowing abortion rights down. And judges who think Roe v. Wade is wrong are going to uphold those kind of What was laws. the voting on that? Remind me. That was um, – the, the law was struck down yeah. just as Breyer wrote the, uh, wrote the majority opinion. It was a very interesting case because essentially it asked the question, when the government is regulating in the name of health and safety, do we just defer to the government or do we look – Little further Does and it see if it actually and see if it's actually serving a legitimate health or safety purpose. Now that is, uh, you know, the crazy libertarian legal people like me. Like we want that sort of analysis applied to health and safety regulations pretty consistently. Doesn't mean they all get struck down, but the government has to give some kind of evidence. It can't just be a pretext, which it often is for some sort of special interest thing. And uh, the legal left is completely opposed to that because that's Lochnerism. That's that's second guessing uh, health and safety regulations. That's what happened in the bad old days of Lochner. 
The Supreme Court shouldn't be doing that at all, except when it's a health and safety regulation dealing with abortion. And then different tests come in. So we saw this interesting kind of uh, flip-flop of where people might normally be on that particular issue. I, I, I'm sorry to hog the question time here, but I just I find this stuff That's so cool. fascinating. That's cool. I'm going to cut you off in a minute. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, people complain that, kill, that, that yeah, me you, and Moynihan you, interrupt you, you a lot. You can talk. That's Go ahead. fine. Um, so, okay, I mean, this has been quiet. an incredibly, uh, you know, it's been a Damon Root-tastic week. We're just talking about judges. We haven't even got any. Gorsuch said that he was disheartened by uh, Trump's mm-hmm. comments about the so-called, all this kind of stuff. So everyone is giving expert opinions on Twitter nonstop about legal terms that they just heard for the first time yeah. today. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. What was the one? Suaspanto? Uh, Spumante? Yeah. Asti Spumante. Yeah. Asti Spumante, uh, the yeah. Ninth Circuit is, is engaging in right now. Sure. As someone who has to sift through this bullshit every day. And, we and, talk, and we, by bullshit, you mean coverage of the, of the court cases yes. and proceedings. And just commentary on it. What are the the most common or most egregious nonsenses that people share and write about when it comes to legal matters, Supreme Court, or even just the stuff this week? So this is the uh, five-hour-long segment. Some idiot wrote this. (laughs) Um, I'll say that that, this time of year, um, usually it's the end of the Supreme Court term around June, is very exciting for me because suddenly the thing that you spend all year working on, people are interested in. Um, but then at the same time, every moron, uh, especially on Twitter, which is almost you, you just can't even like wade into it. Everyone with a byline at publications I won't mention suddenly. You were going to say Daily oh, Beast. Names. He was going to say Daily Beast. Suddenly, I, I, suddenly saw, has, I saw BuzzFeed. Um, uh, so BuzzFeed has a great Supreme Court reporter. Chris uh, uh, Geidner? Yeah, he's yeah, great. Um, uh, they should just let him write about Supreme Court. Only him. Well, so no, he's, he's got classes. There's there's a few other new hires in the Supreme Court area there that are good, but there's some people that should stay off that beat at BuzzFeed. But it's most often people, not even people that pretend to be on a particular beat. It's that one feels that they have to comment on everything. And, and you see this all the time when it comes up against an issue you know a lot about. And it's always fun when those things come around because it exposes, like, if they're such bullshitters about this issue, yeah. I presume that they know nothing about the other issues that they're expounding on all day. And, wh- I mean, a stupid, weird one, and I hate to say it, but it's like this discussion that comes up, and there was a piece in the New York Times about this today, about fascism. This is all of a sudden a word that is in vogue and something that I was planning on doing my PhD in modern German history before I got derailed into this stupid career. I would have had an even dumber career and I would have had less money. Imagine but, what an insufferable but, uh, dickhead he'd be with a PhD. <laughs> oh my That's God. Dr. Moynihan. Did, did, you, did you know? I, Unlike did, the actual Nazi, did, I'm yeah, Dr. Moynihan. Did you know? Do you, do you think that I would have ever like come out of my like uh, place in Ruby Ridge if I had a PhD? No, I'd be, I'd be like in the woods. But no, you hear you hear people talk about these things with a, with with supreme confidence on issues you know that they just googled twenty minutes before, and like you know the media has become this hive of Google scholars of people. That I, the other one, and I wrote about this for a reason a long time ago. There was a Kathy, what's her name? I can't remember her name. She was at I think Think Progress or something. This time, and she wrote this long, sort of boring and tedious thing about Sweden, and I had just moved back from Sweden at the time. And I just I attacked her for this and said, you're a Google scholar and tried to get that that phrase into the lexicon of it. That's what most of the Internet is, just Google scholars. And then, and they, she, named everything... that, then they named that product. Was that afterwards? Yeah, I think that was around the same time. It's probably oh, part of my that. mistake. Good for you. <laughs> I was like, uh, let's call it Google Maps. And it'll be <laughs> mapping the mistakes that you make. Like Michael tapping me on the shoulder. But no, I, I find that all the time and it must be unbearable 
at this time, especially with, you know, executive orders, mm. you know, every sort of uh, court appeal. And then on top of the cherry on top is the Supreme Court and everyone's sifting through a record. And even if they read the material, they probably don't quite understand it. Mm-hmm. Is that more or less right? There, there's nothing like getting a lecture about the Supreme Court by someone who's never read an opinion all the way through. And, uh, that, Has that happened recently? Um, I, I suspect it's happening right now on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of foolishness that you encounter. I mean, yeah. I, it's life's too short to get hung up on it. But yeah, it's a little it's a little depressing. But it's also um, it's also exciting because people are debating what are substantive issues, which is which is nice for change because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of noise, but this not is, in a substantive way. Well, this sadly, is, yeah, this sadly. is this is the part where I arrive and, and get all um, awful and pessimistic. And, and this is um, there was a, a point in our last conversation with uh, Kevin last week where I when you, you were talking you about the Muslims already. And no, no, this is when I this is when I did away with the Constitution. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, look, I people are talking about these important issues. They, they seem all up in arms. They seem to care a great deal about their civil liberties or something and other people's civil liberties. But for the most part, like most of these people don't really care about it in like a meaningful sense. If it were their guy, they would find some way to rationalize a great many things. And I, I could give a specific mm, example, but I, I, but I worry about, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I'm, I, I talked a little bit last week about like law de- legislation and liberty, which is uh, like Hayek's this three three book three short books, um, but where he talks about how governments everywhere have obtained by constitutional means like various powers and authorities that they should not have ever had. The 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 notion that the the this device this mechanism for securing people's individual liberties has obviously in some important respects failed in that task um, and. Look, it it is hard. I can't imagine that there is a, a, a great um, – there is no panacea for securing individual liberty. I think vigilance is perhaps the only real thing um, that, that we can completely rely upon, and so metal. to speak. And metal, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what are the limits here, uh, Damon? Because for me, you know, I, I get involved in these conversations, and even when I, I, I am an avid supporter of – immigration um, in general, and I want to see people be able to come here to the extent that they want to. Um, But I can't sort of differentiate between the quality of the arguments that are being leveled um, or made uh, by various scholars when they talk about uh, whether or not the president has the authority to do this thing or that thing. And oftentimes I suspect that I am coming to my biases and I will hear something that is pretty consistent with what I want to believe and want to be true and want to be consistent with the Constitution. But whether or not it is, I don't know. And I suspect that most people not following this nearly as close as I do sure as hell don't know. So no one actually cares about these things and the Constitution is useless. Please respond. Uh, well, I'll take the second point first. Um, <laughs> if if there was uh, – and let me just say not just the Const- – the, the, let's, let's rope in that not only is the Constitution useless but also the court system is useless. Um, if, uh, if we hadn't had the Heller case in 2008, that's the case where the Supreme Court recognized an individual right to keep and bear arms and struck down Washington, D.C.'s handgun ban, uh, there would never be private handgun ownership in Washington, D.C. That was never going to happen through the democratic process, period. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no way that was going to happen. So a, a constitutional provision which is widely disrespected, not fully enforced, um, courts which often don't take it seriously, nonetheless it is there – and it is put to meaningful use from time to time. That may be the best case sort of scenario that it's 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 there when we need it, and sometimes 
that that comes into play. Um, the the point that your first point, I guess, is that people aren't sincere when they're making arguments so they don't understand things. I think that for, for those of us who take positions that are sometimes outside the mainstream, are minority positions um, that are not allied with either large party or political faction, I mean, you have to find your allies where you can. And so if you have situational uh, opponents of executive power from time to time, that the conservatives don't like executive power when it's Obama, liberals don't like it when it's um, Trump, if you can get a legal precedent, a good ruling on the books that future presidents may actually follow because you partnered with some fair-weather fair people at the time, I think that's still a meaningful uh, victory and that you, you, have to, you, you, know, you have to take it in, in that sort of light. It's, it, there's definitely not a panacea element to it. It's, vigilance is a good word for it. Um, but I wouldn't be so quick to just sort of throw it all out. The, the thing is, Camille, mm-hmm. which I, that's why I said Camille under yeah. my breath, mm. was that when you were making this argument, it goes against the argument that you made previously this summer when you said the upside of a Donald Trump presidency and the expansion of executive power is that maybe people understand... Potential potential silver lining. P- potential silver lining that people will be understand and say, wait one second, yeah. we do not like this. You're making the argument now that people just pick sides and they stay with their team. He just doesn't like those people. No, no, I've, yeah. I've made... I've made I've he doesn't argument. like the people who agree with him right I've now. Made, it makes yeah, him yeah. sad. No, no, yeah. I've made both arguments. And and look, here's here's the here's the perspective, and here's the sort of the meat, right? Um, and I could actually go uh, the Yemen um, attack, which we talked a little bit about last week, um, and we know a little bit more about at least in terms of how many people got dead. We have we've had some pretty decent reporting come out uh, about that attack since. Um, but when I look at the coverage of that particular um, action. Sure. taken by the president um, of the United States, or at least authorized by the president, apparently over dinner, uh, something that had been considered since the late day, later days of the Obama administration. Most of the coverage that I've seen about that in respectable publications is not about whether or not the president ought to be using military force um, in places where we have not declared war whether or not there ought to be sort of fundamental reining in of the president, whether or not there ought to be sort of involvement by the Congress in this thing that the executive branch is doing or even limits on the courts. Mm -hmm. Most of the concern that I see coming up is um, about this unique person of Donald Trump and how seemingly incompetent and dangerous he is, uniquely disqualified to actually do these duties. It's not that someone makes a decision over dinner as to whether or not we are going to carry out, if it were Obama, probably a drone strike. When it's Trump, boots on the ground, send in the troops. And if we have to kill a few civilians in the process, so be it. Um, It's him and it's not the office. And I think that's where I've, I've, I hoped that maybe the overreach would have some sort I, of recoil the, effect. Uh, Look, the recoil I, effect. I, I, no, it's been three weeks. You're right. But it's but it's the 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 level of anxiety, the sort of specificness of the complaints, the fact that it is Trump and not so much the office. It is it's the gangrenous old odor that is filling the room. And not the fact that the leg that needs to be needs to be removed that anyone is concerned about. Look, I think like, you're. I think you're. Breeze the whole damn yeah, room, yeah. and we'll be fine. Look, I think you're right about about Trump, and you know, I think it's Trump's own fault in a lot of ways. I mean, the recklessness with which he has talked about foreign policy and the you know sort of extension of American power, how it will happen. I mean, 
literally we have a president who was on the stump using the phrase, which mm-hmm. was in buttons at, at the multiple Trump rallies that I went to as a, as a reporter, of bomb the shit out of ISIS. Bomb the shit out of them, kill their families. Yeah, kill their families. Kill the terrorist families. families. Kill the terrorist families, this sort of thing. So there is a bit of I told you so. There's a bit of like, hey, hey, this, you know, sometimes isolationist, sometimes sort of interventionist. This ain't so easy. The one thing I would, just tiny thing, and I don't think you intend to do this, but the one thing I would disagree on is that you see the reporting on this, the reporter's jobs in this is just to actually report the disastrous raid. It's not to adjudicate the actual policy, whether this is a good idea, why America's in Yemen, et cetera. That would be the job of, I think, the editorial page and people on Twitter. But to your point, which I think you're right about, on Twitter, people are so obsessed with this idea of Donald Trump's incompetence that two things are happening. One is it's swallowing up bad policy. They're saying we, he's implementing this policy in a ham-fisted way, rather than saying this policy isn't just ham-fisted, it's actually sinister in some ways. And right. you can make, I think, I think that's maybe an overstatement of the Yemen thing. But on the other, the, on, on the other hand of this, as we've talked about in this show before, is it, it's especially interesting now in this era of fake news, which never existed before mm-hmm. uh, November of this year, and of course, you know, is the reason we have a President Trump, is that, you know, it's the irony of it is that all this fake news that is being reported because of the gleefulness and the excitement of people to catch Donald Trump out. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the story in the New York Times, uh, Maggie Haberman, who I think is a very good reporter, um, you know, the, the, the lead of the story is doesn't pass the smell test of that. Nobody in the in the administration can find the light switches. I mean, you saw this, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you no. know, it's like, I mean, everyone's making jokes about this. If this was something in Newsmax about the Obama administration, we'd apply a certain you know set of filters and saying this seems probably like, you know, people either spreading political disinformation or maybe overstating something because they don't like the president. Um, we've, our filters are now kind of murky. We don't actually judge things the, the way we do, you know, during the Obama administration. So it's a very, very different thing. I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think it's also true that do, do people who know who the Houthis are, do we know what side we're on when we're supplying bombs to the Saudis? And, it, and, and to what end and what goal? Yes. No, but you know, we don't. And that's, of course, something that is in American history has been something very, very common. When you go back and the surprise that comes across people's faces when you see this number of the number of American interventions since 1945. Those numbers are nonsense in a lot of ways, but they do speak to a point of that, you know, when Arbenez is overthrown in 1954, in 1965, we're involved in the Dominican Republic. These are things at the time that weren't reported, nobody cared about. They were sort of friendly presidents in a way. You know, uh, Grenada was probably one of the greatest uh, human rights tragedies of its day in 1983 because of the president who actually ordered this lightning fast thing. Mm-hmm. Same thing in Panama too. There's videos, the Panama deception, all this stuff. It depends With on the who's Guns in office. and Roses uh, uh, intervention. Uh, <laughs> yes, when they played Guns and Roses, uh, and there's actually a new uh, documentary. Did this they week. play November Rain? No, thank God, it's pre-November rain. No, yeah. it was just because everyone That's the only Guns and Roses. Every, song. Everybody would have stayed in. Like, yeah, everyone stayed inside and cried. They wouldn't have come out. But mm. there is a uh, speaking of like wacko, weirdo, libertarian stuff, which is always just on the fringes of the conversation that we have. <laughs> there is a, uh, a new American. <laughs> Don't look experience. at me when you say that. I looked down. I didn't want to make. Yeah. I didn't want to make contact with anyone. There's uh, this week's American. <laughs> look at me. Look at it. 
this week's American Experience, mm. uh, the PBS documentary, is uh, I'm about halfway through. It's two hours. I started watching it last night. Is about uh, Oklahoma City, mm. and is a really uh, fascinating because that reminded me of the music that was played to get uh, David Koresh out of Waco because they do oh, a very good that? job of uh, talking about Waco. I, well, you know, he was a metalhead who had a flying V next to him when he was doing those crazy videos. Seriously, he played guitar. Are you kidding me? You didn't, you didn't know that? David Koresh, Koresh was? Koresh Everything. was like a metalhead. He was in a metal band, like long hair. He was like, yeah, he looked like he was in Striper. Huh. And he was as religious as the guys in Striper, too. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Fun, fun, but any, fun but anyway, fact, Branch, yes, Davidian, with Branch Davidians yes, are Davidians. an offset, uh, offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Is that right? What? Boom. Look Full at that. circle. See, Full circle. And I'm just telling you, Carson is a mass murderer yeah. and a martyr. Oh, hey, I yeah. did not say that. Yeah, and by the way, I want to have my libertarian bits, and I'm like, geez, the government's really overstepping. And I'm watching it, I'm like, God, these guys are nuts. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and and, and you know, they, Lucy Steigerwald on here. Yeah, well, you know, they do a little claymation. I'll, t- I'll tell you, you know why the whole thing goes up in flames because they dumped gasoline over the whole house. <laughs> Tends to happen. Like, yeah, you shouldn't drive a tank into the house, but it's covered in gasoline. But anyway, th- th- that is um, something for libertarians too to watch. And I'd love to hear people who are really in depth in this. And I know. This in the '90s, um, and Jesse Walker from Reason knows a lot about this, and a lot of the movements that are, that are are referenced in it. And I w- I'm wondering, like, what am I missing in this documentary? But but that was only spurred can, by the idea I of music. Okay, I'll let you go because I, I I have a question, and it's for my own. I just want to I just want to give you uh, uh, a, a both optimism and a hard time, which is to say, yes, of course, at all times, most people are acting, uh, reacting to politics in a narrow, unprincipled, nakedly partisan type of way. Mm -hmm. It is the job of those of us in the room and those of us listening to try to say, to use everything as kind of like a, hey, you know what? Agreed. Uh, This is a a great example of why you shouldn't give the federal government a lot of power because maybe Donald Trump will run the federal government. Yeah, yeah, no. Maybe we should solve this in a different way. I think screaming that over and over again is useful. Not even screaming, whispering. Um, I want to scream. Um, you know, a, a, a light cupping um, <laughs> wow. can work. I wish you, you in radio land oh, could yeah. have seen Matt's hand. There was that a was, tickling going that, on there. But it was cupping the palm up. Yeah. Uh, and just do that. Make your hand, cup it, and put a palm up. <laughs> I'll never gonna, sleep again. You're going to think, uh, <laughs> yeah. You're going to think of Damon Ruth's balls. Come on. Not yeah. that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned something about uh, journalists reporting the facts. Um, and this has been a, a, a sort of a an obsession of mine over the course of the last what they should months. do is what I'm saying. Well, yeah. well, yeah, what they should do, but I don't even know that they should do that. I mean, yeah. because because yeah. you can't sure. actually do that. And at the well, end of the day, yeah. well, no, I mean, you you yeah. you provide some color. Sure. You have a perspective. Sure. There are certain questions you know to ask. There are other questions you don't know to ask. When you go to the Democratic, this particular Democratic senator for a comment, and they provide one, and that is the sort of alternative perspective to the administrations that's on offer and we never get around to to sort of stopping by to to ask gene healy uh the appropriate way this is this is exactly right you totally you totally end up with a standard perspective and the thing about it is that both both the journalist and the opinion writers and quite frankly everyone in in sort of fandom all of the journalists and the people reading them are for the most part just sort of freaking out and it's and you know to matt's earlier point uh, it is certainly true that there is something there is something strange happening uh, on the right uh, when it comes to sort of how they respond. Certain segments of the right uh, respond to Trump's overreaches with respect to the courts, but it's also true that on the left that there is 
a there is a lot of really heinous and obscene things happening there with respect to the way that they are responding to this moment. The resistance, not, yeah, yeah, not a nice punching, way to talk about Rosie O'Donnell, people, man. Punching yeah. people yeah. in the face, punching people in the face, and then promoting oh, the so video. Oh, isn't so funny? She's dressed sort of up as, as Steve it. Bannon. Nine Eleven was inside job. Yeah, yeah. For, let's not forget about that. About or, Rosie or O'Donnell. UC Berkeley, where where you are setting fires, where people we know, like Gavin McGinnis, who I may disagree with on any number of important issues, and think that he but, deserves but, to be punched on. Yeah, many well, sure. Sometimes by someone like, who's willing to stand their ground and actually do it and let him take a swing back at you, exactly. but macing him before he opens his mouth. And look, there is there is a segment of the population that thinks this is completely acceptable. The same people who are screaming about civil I, I, liberties. I, I, like, I think I think that a lot of this is right. And the one Shake thing I by their shoulders. The one thing I'd point out is that there's a there's a connection between these two two, two thoughts about about um, you know people on the right. Let's just say people on the right that are now. Kind of forgetting their principles and supporting Donald Trump um, when or, Donald or Trump exposing themselves. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I think one of the reasons that I find, and when I talk to the people about it, and actually when you see them on Twitter and you see the pieces they write, is that rather than holding themselves to some sort of conservative principles or let's say they're even libertarian principles outside of the the the, the tent or on the edge of the tent of Hayekian principles, whatever you want to say it is, is that all of that is subsumed by the media. And I think I think this in a lot of ways is the media fault because rather than going full bore and saying this is, you know, really not something that we want to do to for, further X, Y, Z, because even if you're an immigration restrictionist, you should be appalled by these executive orders and say this is not right way of doing it, et cetera. But there is such a froth that is coming from mm -hmm. so many people and so many friends of mine, too, in the media that people who would otherwise or one would hope would otherwise be attacking Donald Trump find themselves in the position of attacking the absurdities of the media taking out the Malcolm X, the Malcolm X, oh my God, <laughs> the MLK bust, uh, all of these things that turn out to be nonsense. And you say, like, everybody stop hyperventilating. I would not be talking about the dark night of fascism not falling on the United States if you guys would shut your fucking mouths and calm down and stop mouth breathing so everybody else could focus on the absurdity of this new government. Hey, although and it's I a find, dodge on, on some... I mean, they're totally right. I see a lot right. of this. I know. They're, to uh, they're totally right, but I totally see they're right focusing about, only on the media. But they're focusing on the anti-anti-Trump movement. That's exactly. And, and self-describe. Just like, you know what? The media has a lot of power. They, they are the pool in which... We all kind of swim in, and they don't understand that some of us have different reaction to that temperature. And yes, yeah. it kind of it makes your makes your skin uh, uh, get weird. Uh, <laughs> thinking about uh, cupping again. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. The, 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 <clears throat> my skin got weird. Yeah. The Matt Matt Welch story. But uh, <laughs> but man, it's just a dodge, right? Like yeah. they're not the ones with power. They don't have police power over the rest sure, of us. Sure. And like to get mad about the media instead of getting mad about Jeff Sessions is just a, a, a yeah. It's, it's limited. Speaking of Jeff. Sessions, yeah, um, because we I see we, Damon sitting up in his chair. Yeah, we've we've been we've been going at this for a while, yeah. and I, I apologize if I took us off on a on a bit of a tangent. No, um, it was a good tangent. Um, it was a good, good tangent. Good. I knew yeah. that. I was I was just I'm, being self deprecating uh, for, yeah. for the benefit. I can of tell people. you about other things that you suck at. Phony like. modif phony sarcasm. modifying. I don't suck at anything. <laughs> well, except sarcasm. sarcasm. I'm very yeah. bad at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were there were some uh, confirmation hearings this week. DeVos uh, made it across the line. I don't know that that is particularly worth talking about. There was a great deal of excitement with respect to her. She was um, prevented from entering God, a public school, school today. today. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even see yeah, that. Yeah, it's a yeah. teacher's union activist. Did they, like, did they you must feel really proud being rich and giving all the money because the rich, and they didn't let her go in. Yeah. And she was like with one 
bodyguard, and she didn't try that hard, to be honest. I mean, yeah. it was, she, like, it was walked but out. She it was a photo. It was it's a photo so walk. funny. There's, I mean, you got to give the Berkeley quote unquote protesters credit for being effective. She got back. She went back to the school like 20 minutes later and was inside. And it's like, what is? Yeah, she got inside. I know that. That's yeah, and, and and she was like, you know, she went and got like a pack of cigarillos at the Seven Eleven, some Swisher sweets. Well, she did hung out and then went back a little later. It's but like, she yeah, did nice close job. down the school, take all of the gay children out, line them up, and shoot had them, them shot. To death. Yeah, they were yeah. all they're all dead. Yeah, uh, I, I want to uh, I want to uh, tie this with what uh, Moynihan was just talking about because I was frustrated and we talked about it on the show with the uh, Democratic obsession with Betsy DeVos of all the people to get really excited about opposing. And to really <laughs> she was sh- connected to fire. <laughs> to, yeah. to Greg Lukianz. Yeah. As if that was a bad thing. A, a, a truly bipartisan will help anyone if they're in need at the university organization run by a Democrat. Yeah. And there were like Democratic senators saying, my God. Unbelievable. She gives money to Greg Lukianz, who's a <laughs> Democrat, yeah. uh, but a very so, nice guy. But so they focused on. I mean, that there was passion. There was a candlelight vigil across the street from my house on Tuesday uh, to oppose Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. I'm not, and there was uh, there are all over the country hundreds of candlelight vis- yeah. vigils of public school kids just really sad yeah. about how their lives are going to be ruined because of Betsy DeVos. Meanwhile, the guy who sits atop the um, I don't know, Department of Justice, who has incredible wide discretion over yeah. what to do um, with it. And who has really rank ideas about immigration and about the drug war and civil yeah, asset sure. forfeiture. All they could talk about was Coretta Scott King and whether he was a racist 30 years ago instead of issues that would uh, appeal directly to the many senators who are on the opposite side of issues from him. The Jeff Flakes, Rand Paul and Mike Lee. But let me pivot and throw some dirt on Rand Paul, which is to say Jeff Sessions got approved by a party line vote. 52 to 47. Here's a guy who said, who says that 95% of civil asset forfeiture uh, is uh, just drug dealers. So that's fine. A guy who uh, praised Donald Trump last year, he praised him for being in favor of the death penalty for the Central Park Five, who I might point out- Who are innocent. <laughs> They're not guilty. Let's just yeah. call them not guilty. Well, well, let me just put it this way, Matt. They were <laughs> let's, innocent let's of the them. crime they were <laughs> accused of. <laughs> they might have been guilty of other crimes. But... The next attorney general last year, like nine months ago, mm-hmm. said Donald Trump is totally rad because he wanted the death penalty against the Central Park Five. So you could have focused on all of this. And what did Rand Paul say? said a bunch of different things explaining his vote, but one of them in an interview with our ex-colleague uh, and friend and uh, prog rock in- enthusiast, uh, Delaware Dave Weigel, was that, you know, the way that the Democrats are talking about this, just bringing up race and the Voting Rights Act, it just turned me off. And it's like, you know what, bro? Are you kidding? That's, yeah. not, a good, that's not a good reason. Yeah. It's not a good reason. That's not a good reason. Like, yeah. ultimately, he couched it in um, the reason why he opposed Loretta Lynch on civil asset forfeiture grounds and not Jeff Sessions, who is equally terrible, although without as much tangible track record on that issue, is that Trump would have just replaced him. That that Sessions agrees with Trump on those bad issues. So so that means if you uh, knock out Sessions, he's just replaced by Giuliani or Chris Christie. But 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 in you know, Rand Paul's thing, vote by the against way, is, them. Vote against them too. Vote, exactly, exactly, <laughs> vote, exactly. Vote I, against them too. Yeah. And just one thing, we're going to get Damon in here before we close out. Is that uh, you know this is an extenuation uh, and a continuation of the argument that I was extenuation. making. Extenuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Of, of a continuation of the argument that I that I was making about. 
you know, the feelings of these things, of being on the other side of other people. Because the thing about Jeff Sessions is the conversations I have with people who, and this has come up weirdly like three times in the past couple of weeks with me, of people who aren't journalists, the, the singular obsession is whether or not Jeff Sessions was at one time in his life and is continues to be a racist. And it's like, well, can we talk about civil asset forfeiture and things like that? Uh, the drug war, you know, this, the, all the stuff that would, you know, hit our erogenous zones. No one has any idea what I'm talking about. And it is like, and Rand Paul's response to that is like, you know, I, I, I answered poorly one time on a Rachel Maddow show about, about the Civil Rights Act. And like these bastards, I, I, they're giving him a hard time about this. And this is why I'm going to vote for him. It's like, Rand Paul, do not be like the people I'm at dinner parties with in Brooklyn because they're bozos. And, like, I want you to take a principled stand. That's the reason you exist in the Republican Party, not to be a part of the lumpen party that, it, that, that you know, confirms uh, uh, what I see deem to be a complete jackass like Jeff Sessions. Damon Root, do you, uh, do you quake at Jeff Sessions? Uh, he, he was not my choice, certainly. Um, I was disappointed in Rand Paul. I, I'm glad that Rand Paul is, is making a stand on foreign policy. Be great if he could make a similar stand on the drug war, criminal justice, all these things that he's been very good at. Um, all these, all sorts of things where there's bipartisan support, where he could uh, bring people over to his point of view instead of just sort of carrying water for Trump on this issue. He's also a Fourteenth Amendment guy, unlike his dad, unlike Correct. a lot of older libertarians and conservatives, which is interesting. If you could distill that in ninety seconds, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take as much time as you Take need. Take as much time as you need. Just make sure it's under ninety seconds. <laughs> the Fourteenth Amendment says that the states can't do certain things, including uh, violate due process of persons and uh, violate the privileges or immunities of citizens. It has long been seen by many folks on the right as this is an uh, unconstitutional infringement on states' rights. It's, it's an invitation for federal meddling, federal uh, courts to judicially impose their will unconstitutionally on the states. Uh, in fact, the 14th Amendment does upset the balance of federalism in this country, but that was the point of it. It protects individual rights, including the Bill of Rights across the country um, on the state level. It's a post-Civil War thing. It's a post-Civil War thing. being all Civil war -y. Written in uh, 1866, ratified in 1868. Its purpose was to tell that state governments, there are things you can't do. That includes violate the Bill of Rights. That includes violate the privileges or immunities of citizens. Uh, Ron Paul said, you know, that shouldn't be enforced. It's judicial activism to enforce the 14th Amendment against the states. Rand Paul, thankfully, has read uh, the history books a little more carefully. And By which you mean overruled by Damon Root. Yeah, yeah, he read. He, he asked, read. no, he asked for, for three copies of that book to be sent to his office. Yeah, really? uh, from Seriously. Uh, and like, I had private conversations with him about how much he likes that book. Really? Yep. He also said it nicely. Why didn't you send it to, 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 to Ron? Did you send it to Ron? I don't know about reading books. Yeah, 14th Amendment. Does that mean I got to get rid of my slaves? We got to stop invading Vladimir Putin. What? That he is, wow. dude, that is terrible. Come on. He come only has, on. He only has one. Jeez. And it's a friend of his and who also thinks 9-11 was an inside Unbelievable. Oh. Hey, hey, that's not true, damn yeah, it. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Come on. I'm sorry. So I, I won't uh, associate myself <laughs> with any of that. What is that? I mean, the, you know, I know you're a big fan of the Ron Paul Survival Report, the band <laughs> oh that I have God. with Damon Root. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what that yeah. is. Look for our seven inch. That's yeah, our that seven is. inch. Yeah. yeah, our seven. Our split seven is called Ruby Ridge. I thought it was. I thought, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was called Fleet Footed yeah. Black Guys. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's <laughs> the, the B side yeah. by David Koresh. On yeah. Welfare Day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. 
Um, <laughs> the Sam Francis experience. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The deep. By the way, there is a there is an article um, today in the New York Times, and this, and, and I think I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, uh, for saying San Francis, that you have to look at this. It's an st- article Steve Bannon was at, like above the scroll on the website, and it was about uh, uh, Steve Bannon's in- influence uh, by a uh, Italian sort of proto-fascist, uh, uh, let's say, philosopher Julius Avola. And I read this whole thing, and I get a lot of shit for this, just tweeting this on Twitter. The whole article is one quote from an old piece in which uh, that he's being interviewed. And he says that um, Vladimir Putin's kind of man behind the cur- curtain, the sort of eminence grease, this guy named Alexander Dugan, uh, was a fan of Avola's. And this is the, this is the only thing that he said about it. It's really, I, 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 I advise everyone to read this to see what makes a 2,000-word story in the New York Times. And I was looking for the other quotes. And the only thing about this piece was that Steve Bannon knew who Julius Avola was, who essentially, you know... In the 30s, he basically divorced himself from Italian fascism because he thought they were too soft. And, you know, Avola was a real sort of classic proto-fascist thinker, not in the, not in the racist. I mean, he wasn't obsessed with race the way German uh, fascist thinkers were. But anyway, I, knowing I, – I just got nervous. I'm like, I just said Sam Francis's name. If I was a man in power, knowing who I was might be worthy of a 3,000-word profile. Like, how do you know this guy? And I advise people to read this because it's a very, very strange bit of, bit of journalism that a lot of people were attacking me and d- defending it and saying we should know the kind of you know, intellectual roots of Steve Bannon. It's like, well, he just said that a guy, Alexander Dugan, who's a, a, a Kremlin sort of in-court philosopher, is a fan of his when he was explaining um, uh, Putin's philosophy. And I really recommend people read this piece because it's the most baffling thing I've ever read. And it was on the homepage. And so basically what they do is they get, and I hate Steve Bannon. I think I hate everything about him. I hate what Breitbart became. I really didn't like it at its very beginnings either, but it really became something nasty. Uh, But it allowed them to get Bannon and the word fascism in a headline. And you read through it, and it's just a, a bunch of mush. There's some good information in it, but none of it relates to. to I Steve mean, Bannon. given the fact that your name is Michael Moynihan, which is also the name of it's an actual fascist. Uh, by the way, uh, a guy that I used to work with, uh, who's a lovely guy, um, tweeted at me uh, today when I when I when I wrote that when I tweeted about it and said, "Hey, you know, there's another Michael Moynihan." Who really loves Julius Avola? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not me. Yeah, that's the Nazi one. If anyone wants to know why, the, actually, uh, Moynihan doesn't have a C uh, middle name at all, but he just uh, puts C there, so he's not confused with that other guy. Okay, Sp- speaking of which, I mean, th- this is, I mean, this is uh, indicative of sort of the weird moment we found ourselves in, where you know the. Donald Trump meets with a bunch of sheriffs uh, earlier this week, and there are, were two principal headlines that I saw come out of that. One was that Donald, quote, mis, uh, misrepresented the statistics with respect to uh, the rate of violent crime. He said we're at like a 47-year high or something like that. It actually just happens to be the case that we've actually seen a blip uh, where the crime, the, the rate of violent crime, murder uh, in particular, maybe other crimes are, are not so much, um, but murder has gone up Um it seems. I don't know that we have the full Slightly numbers for 2016 after, after yet. After, after going down just a tad the year before, but had gone up um, the, the year before that. Most of the rise in terms of the major cities is concentrated in a couple of places, places like Baltimore. Um, we talk a lot about Chicago, but Baltimore has, I mean, just insane, uh, an insane murder rate given its population. Something that, that would almost uh, look like a war zone. It's, it's bad. 
Um, so that's worth talking about. Um, but Donald Trump misquotes the misquotes a number. He also makes a joke about ending, um, destroying the career of a state senator. What oftentimes is left out of the headline is that he was going to end his career because a police officer was talking about how he didn't like the fact that this guy was trying to end civil asset forfeiture. Uh, In fact, the police officer has said, like just moments before, I mean, this guy is actually suggesting that we should have to go through court proceedings before we can take away their stuff and use it for our own purposes. That doesn't make any sense. How could anyone, how could anyone disagree with that? How could anyone disagree with the proposition that you could simply have the cops come in and say, oh, yeah, th- you have drugs. Um, you also have these things. We're going to take your things and we are going to sell them and we'll use the money to fuel our department. Um, that is a great incentive to create for police officers before there's any sort of legal proceedings. And again, the, the headline at a number of places like NPR, all sorts of respectable media outlets is Trump jokes of su- state senator will destroy his career. Isn't that what politics is all about? Destroying the other guy's career, getting his ass fired. That is why you run in the damn race to end his career, to end the career of some nobody in Texas. Sure. To the president. It doesn't matter to me. It's sure as hell not nearly as important or interesting. Barack Obama talks about a a state senator in Iowa. I'm going to destroy his career. Yeah, but he didn't. But that's just it. He didn't even talk about. He said, want to say his name? So we can end his career. Everyone in the room laughs. It is a joke. It is a bad joke that Trump doesn't laugh at because you're not supposed to laugh at your own joke necessarily. It's a stupid ass joke. What is more important is the substance. And it is. Sure. And we wrote about the the substance. And and I would uh, recommend that people look at uh, Jacob Solom's post. (laughs) That's the reason. The the long, as always, when you read the entire transcript with Trump, it's even more revealing because he's asking everybody in the room. Like, what is this stuff, this this asset forfeiture? He has no idea. And he's got a room full of sheriffs, and the last thing anyone wants to do is actually tell him. They just, oh, you know, these bad people are are, are preventing us from having the tools. Uh, and he keeps kind of asking around. He clearly has no idea what he's talking about, but there's no one there who even will come up with a, well, it's legalized theft, some people say, uh, because they if they actually have to describe it with honest words... <laughs> We would see now, how you, awful it you is. find that all the time that you it's clear he has no idea what's going on and doesn't know the uh, doesn't know the issues that he's ta- he's talking about or people are talking about uh, to him. And it's funny. So many people defend he's, he's surrounding himself with good people. He's going to you know, he's a quick learner. These sorts of things is that no, the thing that everyone misses about Trump or I mean, maybe they don't just they don't talk about it. It should be talked about is that the problem with that idea, and we're seeing it in the first month of his presidency, is that it's one thing to be supremely ignorant about the things that you're in charge of. That's a scary, scary prospect. But there are a lot of presidents who have actually done that. I think Bill Clinton coming in from, from Arkansas in 1992 probably didn't really know how things worked and probably got, you know, look. That, in, that's in, regionalist. That's regionalist. But incoming uh, um, House members get um, uh, training. You know, that's where they come in. And they have training for, for them to say, this is how it, it works to be a congressman. So, you know, I, I get that. But the, the real poison is, to, is that level of ignorance combined with that level of confidence. And that's the problem with Donald Trump. He's, he's supremely confident in his gut. 
because his gut has made him, you know, millions of dollars or so, he says, in these business deals. And he has these gut reactions to foreign policy, the gut reactions to huge issues of huge importance. And he speaks off the cut. And I think that that's probably why that you get these these media stories that are kind of underselling it. But the better story is they want to say, look at this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Or in this case, he's a brute and he's oafish and he's a knuckle dragger. Okay, all of that's true. We don't need another example. But do your job like slightly better. And when you do that, you can actually make fun of him more. This is my problem with the the kind of rush to pile on every comment of Trump's until before we read the transcript, before we actually hear it ourselves, before we see the the, the full context of it, is that when you do read that, to your point, as you said, there's often a more interesting mania that is lying there for you to. But I mean, I think that the tweet culture, this guy, get it out there. Let's talk about a bathrobe for 24 hours. The, uh, my, my, the rule is someone came up with this and I'm, I apologize to whoever I'm stealing it from, but I've adopted it myself is when you see tweet with some news, some new tidbit that fills you with deliciousness about how awful Trump is. Check it. Do not retweet it. Yeah. <laughs> Just wait 24 hours because chances are it's not going to be true. The one that happened this morning, I think, that I looked at it like, up, oh, retweet. Yeah, no, no, maybe no. not. Was no, no. the 1968 Fred uh, Trump campaign commercial when with he was Sid thinking, Blumenthal was with Sidney yeah, freaking yeah. Blumenthal so yeah. people were like oh they look at this campaign commercial and it was like scary negro uh drug dealer hustler guy and then a couple of scared white ladies and like it looked great I, I wanted to believe it just because it was some pretty good like 1968 footage yeah, in general yeah, yeah. and then it's like what are the chances that there is an existing never before been seen no oppo research found it no yeah 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 yeah. just coming up now i'm going to wait and it took about 90 minutes and in that 90 minutes everyone in the world had retweeted it and of course it turned out not to be true yeah the politico's headline on that was it was probably untrue when i saw it today and it's like no the burden is on the person who uploaded the video to prove that it's true not for us to prove that it's not true and we're kind of going backwards in these things and it's it's a bit it's a bit frustrating sometimes the one thing i will say final um thought from me on this it, um, about Trump and things that are true or not true and reported. And Ben Smith, of course, got in a lot of trouble for this. Uh, the dossier, the Russia dossier for, from a um, ex-MI6 agent. Uh, CNN had a story today that, um, according to a source in the intelligence community, certain elements of that dossier from signals intelligence, from intercepted calls, emails, uh, they believe to be true. And I didn't retweet that myself because it was a single source in the story and it was a little skeptical. And by the way, you know, anonymous sources, you should have two. That's there's always been the rule in the past. CNN had one. Uh, but uh, my friend Jason Leopold, who was our FOIA expert advice, uh, we really, really unfortunately lost him to BuzzFeed. Uh, reported tonight, and Jason has rock-solid sources. He's a great reporter and a great guy, too. Uh, reported that a second source had told him um, essentially the same thing in that they couldn't confirm the most salacious details, meaning we don't know if he was being peed on uh, by prostitutes at a Russian hotel. I suspect that's probably not true. It's the most important detail. You know, hey, it's it's you know, it's the loss leader. You know, you lo- you know, people come in for Seriously, that. There's not the pee. I don't care. About that yeah, story. exactly. I mean, the, the pee's really brings in. That's yeah. the real hook. And we don't know if the uh, urine hook is true. Apparently, Unbelievable. they. But that 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 other elements of that have um, been confirmed by two sources in the intelligence community, which speaks to two things um, about apparently about uh, Trump's business dealings in Russia uh, in his dealings with Russia, period. 
when Mike Flynn has uh, people in the the vice president basically saying, yeah, he probably talked about the sanctions regime, uh, which is might be illegal. We don't know. Um, we don't know the context of the conversation. We have that. And then on top of that, these elements, uh, this has been a forgotten about story because we're, thought, we're, we're thinking about him governing and how he's governing and how poorly he's governing. And we've kind of forgotten about this thing of that the the election was thrown by the Russians. And to add on top of that, there's been some relationships between them. And they said, all right, you know what? There's other meteor stuff, which is true. But I have a feeling that this is actually going to come back and boomerang him in a pretty harsh way. Um, and if the intelligence agencies, this is the first rule of politics that Donald Trump thinks he's the master of every domain in which he enters, you know, television, you know, hotels, et cetera. And he's not he didn't quite understand that when you fire all these shots at the intelligence agencies, these guys fucking fire back. And we've seen this over and over again. The leakiness from the White House, I think, might be some disaffected people who don't like the way that the policy is going. The intelligence agencies from what we see in some from some sort of tumult about this, they are going to be waging a very, very quiet war against this presidency because they were defamed. I don't even think it's quiet now. It's not quiet now. I mean, they're the ones who smoked out Flynn. I mean, they're saying, they smoked out Flynn. We have the information. He lied. Yes. And they made sure that that was public. The intelligence agencies traditionally do want to make sure that nothing is public. And if, and, and we know that because we've all talked about this in our sort of universe, you know, in our, in our years in the sort of universe of libertarianism, et cetera, that, this is they want to cling to secrets. It's, you know, sort of Daniel Patrick Moynihan's book. Secrecy is a great sort of distillation of why the government loves secrets and why they always want to keep everything secret, even if it benefits them in, in small ways. Uh, the intelligence agencies have given that up in the past couple of months. And this is just the beginning. And I think this is going to boomerang him in a really bad way. And I think that people are going to have to resign or there's going to be some 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 issues. I don't know how long Flynn is for this world. I, I know that they'll stick with him. Because they like these kinds of fights, but but I mean, it looks like this might get ugly. Who mm. knows? Anyway, what, did I just silence the room, or did I put it in a bold, bold, bold prediction? I, 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 this this is not going away. This is not right. going away. Right. And by the way, if this rumor that is being reported today that Edward Snowden, uh, who it might be you know handed over, the thing about this uh, Snowden tweeted about it said finally irref- the idea by the way people will know expect tomorrow that russia eyes sending snowden to the u.s as quote a gift to trump according to an official in the administration uh edward Snowden's response finally irrefutable irrefutable evidence that i never cooperated with russian intel no country trades away spies absolute idiocy from edward snowden countries trade away spies all the time Especially with Russia. Self-interested, idiocy of all people to maybe get that I'm thing just, wrong. I'm just saying that that proves nothing. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see if this, I mean, wait, it's, wait a minute. it's you, true enough. That is, this, is this the part where you say Snowden is a spy? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. Oh. I'm not Edward J. Epstein. That's okay. what his book is for. But I'm just saying that <laughs> if you're to say that that's irre- irrefutable proof, it's not. Yeah, maybe, it was, not. maybe it was a joke. He could be a little concerned for his own safety um, uh, while being well, he, freedom. He, he, he probably should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weirdly, uh, Vladimir Putin's not a trustworthy guy. That's <laughs> what happens hey, if you end up in there, Russia. There is that. There is that. Um, the, the one funny thing about that, um, actually, there were plenty of funny things. Um, I, I'm going to leave that alone. We'll, we'll do that another day. Damon, you have anything else for us before we sort of push to the, the culmination of this? Because I was going to call for some idiots who happened to write things, although Moynihan kind of gave us one. Yeah. 
I would say that the Gorsuch nomination is a, a rare bright spot in the in the Trump first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. This is a guy whose record suggests he's going to stand up against the executive and um, has ruled in favor of the Fourth Amendment against overreaching law enforcement. Those are positives. Those are reassuring. Um, doesn't bring me any joy to say that uh, Trump might have done something that's Certainly not worst case scenario. I think Gorsuch from a, maybe a broadly liberal perspective is probably one of the best case scenarios on the Trump list. So there's that. He's uh, he's not your friend on abortion and privacy and a bunch of things, but he might be your friend on overreaching government. And maybe that's what you want this during, is, this during the your, Trump years. This is your good get. So uh, hurry up and confirm his ass is what you're saying. Um, yeah. Yeah. OK. OK. Take that. Uh, anybody did, a, did an idiot write anything else, Matt, that you uh, took notice of? Yeah, but I want to uh, instead. What's the reverse that we do of the summit that wrote this? Some genius wrote something incredible. We, we're going to yeah. change the name of that all the time. A uh, book that uh, Damon Sharik called "Unwarranted." Our uh, our uh, colleague in the world, Barry Friedman, who wrote a really interesting book in two thousand nine uh, uh, about uh, the, how the Supreme Court never really goes too far away from public opinion. Um, and I forget the name of that book, but Damon will remember it since he wrote a review for Reason. Um, about it, or at least uh, some mention of it. Uh, Barry Friedman's an AC, a New York uh, University law and constitution uh, professor. Anyways, he has a new book out uh, that I uh, wrote a review of for the Wall Street Journal that's coming out called Unwarranted that is an attempt to kind of wrestle and grapple with the um, all the policing without permission, as he puts it, that happens in our world. Um, and he has the novel theory, which I think is naive, but that the the courts should just sort of aggressively kick back instead of allowing for you know new technologies to be used by law enforcement on their own uh, uh, discretion, kick that back to the legislatures and the people so that they write rules of engagement. It's 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 fascinating look at just all, you know, third party doctrine and and how the Fourth Amendment has been uh, turned into Swiss cheese over the last 50 years. And it's a valuable look at all kind of criminal justice reform stuff um, just as a source book, if nothing else. So check it out. Barry Friedman, Unwarranted. I just wanted to get a book in there because uh, Moynihan was starting to lard up in, at the end there. The I didn't. Did yeah. I put any books you in You put there? a couple in there. Yeah, yeah, you did. But, oh. but I mean, I, I, should, I, I can I add one more? I'm reading uh, Stanley Payne's book on uh, uh, the definitional problems of fascism. The University of Wisconsin, Madison professor who writes mostly about the Spanish Civil War. He has a book called Fascism. It's like analysis and definition. It's from the late 70s, early 80s. It's absolutely the best book in the subject. No one ever talks about it. They uh, talk about instead a uh, different book, a, re- a recent book about about fascism that that it's not even worth mentioning. But this kind of hard to find. You can get it on online, but really, really good. And especially now, as people are talking about this uh, definitionally, um, is this a fascist uh, you know uh, moment that we're living in? Um, and uh, the one thing I'll say about this, and I'll end on this. Always note when your friends are lying and they don't know about this, because when you st- when they say fascism and you say, well, you know, I don't see any uh, concentration camps and mass killing and, you know, ovens and Zyklon B. And they say, well, no, no, no. I mean, and the mutual, a journalist, by the way, is a mutual friend of, uh, of yours. Our, we have a friend in this guy who said, to me, no, 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 no. What I'm talking about is, is Italian, fa- like Mussolini fascism. In which you press, they know nothing about. It. They just know that there was no Holocaust there, so they mean that kind of fascism. So this uh, Stanley Payne's book is is actually um, a, cl- a overlooked classic. Really, really good stuff. Nice. So there you go. Well, I'm I'm actually gonna. I was gonna do something. I'm gonna forego it. Um, I will say I went and saw the uh, James Baldwin doc uh, yesterday. Uh, I am not your Negro. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I heart James Baldwin. I think James Baldwin is kind of remarkable and magical. And when I read Baldwin, even it's when I am not, not agreeing with him, that is precisely why I said that. Yeah, I wanted you to make that connection. Thank okay. you. Um, when I, when I read him, when I hear him talk, it always makes me like, I, I feel a certain kind of way. Um, and yesterday when I saw the film, um, I found myself at several points just kind of really annoyed uh, when certain ham-fisted kind of mood of the moment things were done, where you take James Baldwin talking about the awfulness of sort of 1960s uh, era, civil rights era abuses that were being meted out on a regular basis and sort of running parallel to that footage of people in the streets in Ferguson um, as if there is a straight line that can be connected between these events. And it, it reminded me of something else that I saw in another um, sort of celebrated documentary, The 13th uh, from Netflix, which yeah. I watched again uh, this weekend for the this time I watched it all the way through uh, in a room full of friends, uh, people who I, I love and admire uh, for any number of reasons and um, who, who don't agree with me on most things political. But there is this moment in that film uh, as well where Donald Trump is giving a speech. Um, and it's actually a bunch of different speeches from Donald Trump uh, where he talks about like punching people in the mouth and uh, back in my day, all of the things that we would do. And the cops used to respond a lot faster. And he's saying these things while they show footage, black and white footage of black people being attacked by dogs and all sorts of other just offensive and gross things happening. And it it struck me that there is um, a license that people feel they have when they are standing up for justice in a contemporary context and talking about what they perceive as racism, that they feel that they are entitled to use um, sort of the imagery, this pornographic, um, this torture porn uh, for all intents and purposes, these images of people like being hung from trees um, in, in that kind of context. And there's, there is something about that that is really, really disturbing to me uh, and bothers me. And, and certainly Baldwin, um, I hope we actually get there should be something next week um, and we get to talk about him a little bit more. Um, Baldwin, I think, is interesting. But Baldwin, like so many bright, brilliant, intelligent people, um, changed his perspective on important issues over the course of his life. So when you have a documentary film and you say that this film in the credits was written by James Baldwin, but what you have actually done is taken stuff that he has written all across the broad span of his professional career and stuff he has said all across, again, the broad span of his professional career, and you cobble it together into some Frankenstein to say what you want to say in this particular moment. Um, that's not right. You, that, he didn't write that. Yeah. You did. Um, and the film, not particularly great, uh, it is great to hear uh, Baldwin and to see him in so many contexts. And there's stuff about which um, I disagree with Baldwin forcefully. Um, but that being said, I, I just wanted to to highlight uh, and underscore that because it is it is Black History Month. Um, but as Baldwin said, um, the the history of the Negro is the history of America, um, and that is how I feel about Black History Month for the moment. Well, you know, it is. In so, one final comment about this is you know history being used and i at one point was was you know before i took a bunch of jobs that sidelined me from actually having the time for this was going to write a book called junk history and we talk a lot about junk science we don't talk mm. a lot about junk history and even if the history itself is good when you when you have the capability of 
juxtaposing, you know, the hoses versus what Donald Trump says or something, is that the abuse of history isn't only something that happens from people like David Irving, you know, Holocaust denier who who takes a bit of history in the past to use it and weaponize it against something that he hates in the present, which is basically he's an anti-Semite. He doesn't like the state of Israel. He doesn't like Jews in general, et cetera. And he wants to vindicate uh, the pe- you know people that he loves of the past, which are Nazis. And obviously the problem with these people is they're all Holocaust deniers, but the problem is they really want it to have happened hmm. because they kind of agree with it at the end of the day. But, you know, when I see this sort of thing, and I've seen this in a number of documentaries, there always has to be some kind of turn. I mean, things that I read a book, I read Ted Morgan's book, a very good book called Reds, about the McCarthyism that was released in 2005. The last chapter was about the Bush administration. Is that if you feel that instinct, to take a brilliant book of history, a brilliant work of, you know, documentary art, you know, cobbling together the words of, of James Baldwin. And if you feel that instinct to bring into the present, you're doing it wrong. That's not how we do history. And unfortunately, the weaponization of history we're seeing now, and we object to it in the past. When I went to Tea Party rallies and I saw people saying that, you know, Obama was a Maoist. He was a Stalinist. <laughs> like, you didn't have any sense of what Stalinism and Maoism was, mm. is that that stuff goes out the window. And we, we scoff at that a lot more during Tea Party time because there's some guy who came up from Missouri or Mississippi or someplace that we can make fun of them because it's not where we live. And they make these sort of absurd kind of, you know, almost John Birch Society historical analogies. Mm -hmm. I find it more disturbing when I see people in universities, when I see people who have the levers of power can make documentaries, taking historical uh, events, historical precedent, flattening it um, and flattening the lessons. And I think that there is an overuse of it cheapens yeah. the Holocaust, it cheapens slavery, whatever. But there is a certain core truth to that, of that if everything is a Nazi, then nothing is a Nazi. If Donald Trump is a fascist, and by the way, we say fascist for a reason. We don't say fascist because we want people to think of Salazar in Portugal. We don't say fascist because we want people to think of Franco in Spain. We don't know enough about them. We say fascist because we want to say Nazi, but we think it's too harsh. We want you it to be redolent of Nazism. We want to bring you towards it, but we don't want to say it hmm. because we know that sounds kind of absurd. So we're using and weaponizing history in this very strange way. You say, Donald Trump is a fascist. And my question to this always, and when I see the hoses, you know, an Edmund Pettus bridge, and then I see Donald Trump, that if Donald Trump is Bull Connor, if Donald Trump is... Joseph Goebbels, if Sean Spicer is Joseph Goebbels, usually is what it said. And Donald Trump is, you know, Heinrich Himmler, Adolf Hitler, somebody with a swastika on them. Then what do we make those people? What are they? Because they're not the same thing, right? I mean, if if Donald Trump, in all of his absurdities and pornographic statements about most everything, if he is that, then we don't have words left for the others, right? We're, uh, if we co-opt words, we suck the meaning out of them. And then we're left bereft. We're left with no words for people who do truly horrible things. And I think that that's what is happening now is that we're all racing to show the other person. And I do this and everyone does. I say anytime I say something that's even slightly in defense of Donald Trump, I have to make sure to say that I can't stand this man and I do it. But we're all racing so quickly to say how morally abhorrent we find all of this stuff that we take everything out of the tool shed and start throwing it. And then we look backwards towards history and we have nothing left. What are these people in the past who lined up people in pits and shot them and regularly shut down the levers of government, the instruments of democracy as fascism did? What do we have now? We have courts that are checking the power of Donald Trump 
this, my friends, is not fascism. This is actually democracy. And it's quite a wonderful thing to watch. Unfortunately, the man that is sitting on top of this is not a wonderful thing to watch. But that's how it works. Yeah. That's how it goes. Anyway. One, wonderful with, with an asterisk. Sometimes, yes. sometimes crude, <laughs> the operation. Yeah, not, not, with, not without with asterisks. Speaking yeah, yeah. of immorally abhorrent characters, uh, Gavin McInnes actually has, a, uh, has a, a good statement about this that he says, which is that the supply of Nazis or fascists can't come anywhere near close enough to meet the demand. Mm. And this can probably be said for racists as well. There's just a huge demand for this terrible group. And yeah. so that's why there's all this pressure to make people who actually aren't, whatever you think of them, Nazis, be Nazis or be fascists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, that's, the, that's the element of Baldwin's work that, that unfortunately to me has been, has been sort of lost now, like an appreciation for what – um, what hatred and what bigotry sort of does to sort of the people who've received it uh, over time and even the people who who hate it and are responding to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's complicated. We'll do that another day. We flipped uh, the clock today, by the way. Yeah. Oh, we did? We yeah, just went way today. over. It's no, it's happened. Oh, it's minutes. happened before. Trust me. Is that 110 um, minutes? Yeah. yeah. It's two hour uh, any, any Holy part? crap. This is like the Ben-Hur of Yeah, I'm just going to make gonna sure sh- that Damien can't get his train. Uh, are we done? We finished? <laughs> We're finished. Bye. Thank you, Damon Root. Thank thank you all. Thanks, Damon. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column.